Welcome to Beyond the Shoots is presented by Parasite Systems. I'm your host, Doug Simcox, and today I'm recording in Taylorsville, Kentucky. I hope that you're having a great day wherever you are with whatever you may be working on today. And today we've got a very special guest. He is an 11-time steer wrestling world champion and is the general manager of the International Professional Rodeo Association. It is my pleasure to welcome back Mr. Dale Yerrigan to BTC. How are you doing today, Dale? How are things? I'm I'm great, Doug, and I appreciate you having me having me back on to kind of follow up on some earlier conversation we had and and touch on some new things. Absolutely, I tell you, we've got some listener questions from your last episode, all about steer wrestling. We're gonna and we're gonna dig into your role as general manager, if that's all right. Talk a little bit about the history of the IPRA, its innovations in the sport of rodeo. We'll talk about the International Finals Rodeo and Rodeo Logistics purchase earlier this year of the International Professional Rodeo Association. But first, all of our listeners are really interested in traveling stories. I had Robbie Hodges. You know Rockin' Robbie Hodges? Do you remember him? <laughs> I, I, I know Robbie well. <laughs> he was on here, and he, he wanted me to ask if you might remember a story, a story when him and Cody Sosa B were traveling with you, something about ho-hos hidden under a pillow <laughs> and getting well, caught. Do you remember anything like that? <laughs> Well, with well, Cody Sosby, uh, you know, there was something about that era of bareback riders. So, so Robbie Hodges and Cody Sosby were both uh, bareback riders traveling in the IPRA at the same time. And Cody traveled with me a lot, Robbie a little bit. But uh, uh, Cody, he always uh, said he liked traveling with steer wrestlers because they stop and eat a lot. And <laughs> and Cody, Cody, who people will know now as a rodeo clown mm-hmm. and is fairly large in stature. Is that safe to say? I would say, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was, he was much slimmer and trimmer as a, as a bareback rider. And he actually was a world champion bareback mm-hmm. rider. And I think about 93. And so, but you can imagine with, with guys like that traveling that were on the competition side, I mean, they were already clowns before they started <laughs> painting, painting their faces and, uh, and getting paid to be clowns. And, and, uh, so it was pretty entertaining on the rodeo trail with, with guys like that, who, who now make their living, uh, painting their faces and, and being funny at the rodeo, but they were doing it for free back then. And, and they were pretty entertaining. They would take guitars with them and sing and play and, and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, there, there was, uh, quite a, quite an adventure with guys like that. So the ho-hos under his pillow and getting caught. Do you remember that story? Well, I, I, I don't remember exactly what happened with the ho-hos, but, uh, Cody would, was, would be bad to, uh, have food stashed. And, uh, and so he wasn't, he wasn't going to go without. So I don't know that he got in trouble for having the ho-hos because he was on his own as far as his, uh, his own, his own weight and training, training regimen, ah, okay. <laughs> but, but, uh, and, and who knows, he may have made a mess in the camper or something with him, okay. uh, with the, with the, with the food hit out. Uh, <laughs> there was a, there was another guy that was traveling with me, Joel, Joel Chaffin, who qualified for the IFR and the TRS, and he was kind of having some hard times and, and wasn't winning a lot. So he was trying to be very frugal with his money. And so we stopped at a truck stop and, and they had on the, on the bargain bin there, I never forget. They had a, a big package of fig Newton's 
for nearly nothing. It was marked way down. I don't know if they were out of date or what, right. what the story was. So he bought a big package of big Newton and slid them under the back seat of the truck and, and had them stashed to snack on because uh, he was light on, on funds for, for eating. And <laughs> so <laughs> Milburn Uthier, who another bareback rider that traveled with me for, for a while, he uh, he was sleeping in the back seat, and he just happened to stumble onto him, and he ate those fig newtons. And <laughs> and uh, when Joel got up and got out of the camper the next day, and it was time for a snack, and he got in there to get his fig newtons out, uh, the look on his face when he realized that the package was empty and Milburn had eaten his fig newtons was uh, <laughs> was one of the most dejected looks I've ever seen on a human face. Oh no. And then we made sure that Joel got something to eat. Okay. So we weren't going to be that hard on him, but yeah. it was pretty comical that he was just the letdown. You thought, you know, somebody ran over his dog when he found his empty package of big Newtons. <laughs> big but... Newtons. I love it. I love it. Well, if you can think of any, any stories maybe about Robbie, as we go through today, please feel shared to, to step up and, and uh, share it. <laughs> I, I will want to, I, and, and Robbie wasn't with us on this trip. One of the, kind of craziest things that, that happened was when they, when they left my horses at the, at the gas station, uh, you know, and, and, right. uh, th- th- things like that. And, and, uh, we drove long ways without them and had to turn around and go back and get them you, and everything was fine. You left but, horses. Uh, they left horses behind at a gas station. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this is before cell phones or, any of that stuff and, and GPS and whatnot. And, and so, you know, traveling all night long, all day and night to get somewhere. And so there was, there was a whole bunch of us traveling together in, in my rig and had my steer wrestling and hazing horse. And, and, uh, the night before this happened, we, when we were all awake, when we left the rodeo and everybody's talking and telling old stories and, and, uh, John Crater had got in with us and for a little while and, and right at the end of his bareback riding career. And, and, uh, and so he was telling stories about guys that he rodeoed with and the pranks they pulled on each other and so on and so forth. And, and so then we got ready, I got ready to lay down for a while. So, uh, uh, a couple other guys started driving, uh, Rich's Sims and Jim white were going to drive so I could sleep for a while. And so I'm back there in the camper and, all of a sudden, I mean, several hours go by and all of a sudden, uh, uh, they're, they're waking me up or they're in there trying to get John awake and said, where's the horses. <laughs> and, uh, or John had started driving by then. He's like, where's the horses. And the first thing I thought was, well, they're playing a joke on me, right? right they're trying right. to get me excited. Yeah. And so then I could tell by the tone in John's voice, he wasn't, he wasn't kidding or I didn't think he was. So I, I had a two horse inline trailer at the time. And so I jumped out and I ran back there. We're on the side of the interstate and there's no horses in the trailer. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, they fell out on the road. You know, you're thinking all kinds of terrible things. Yeah. And, and so as we kind of get calmed down a little bit and get those guys awake and they said, well, didn't you, didn't you load the horses before you started driving? And John's like, what are you talking about? Well, they had stopped for gas. Yeah. And, uh, and they were tired. So they woke John up and said, can you drive? And he said, sure. So he got up. Well, he didn't even look in the trailer. He just got in and started driving. And so, and so somebody flashed the lights and pulled up alongside of him on the, on the interstate and said, you know, I don't know if you lost anything, but your trailer door is open. (laughs) So so he pulled over. So after the, 
after the initial shock of, you know, well, I, they didn't fall out on the road. They're at a gas station somewhere. They, they had pulled in there and unloaded the horses and walked them and tied them to a little fence behind the gas station and hung up a bucket of water for them. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, then didn't tell John that the horses were back there and he just took off and started driving, you know, inline trailer, no, no weight on the tongue of the trailer or anything. And, and so he didn't know that the trailer was empty. Mm-hmm. And so back then the truck we were driving had two gas tanks on it. So one was about empty. And so John said, well, nobody remembered where we stopped. It wasn't really out of town. It was just a little gas station along the highway. And, you know, they all kind of looked the same. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so John said, I never forget. John said, well, this tank's just about empty. I guess we'll turn around and switch tanks. And then, you know, when it starts getting down there, we'll we'll look. And, uh, you know, it sounded crazy, but really that was the most sensible thing to do at that point. And so we, we turned around and went the other way and switched tanks. And so when we got down to about a quarter of a tank, we started stopping. And I think about the second or third exit that we got off there, they were, and we pulled in the gas station. Well, of course now we're out of gas again. (laughs) So, so, you know, we've driven 150 miles, you know, one way and 150 back. So we're 300 miles later in six hours or five, whatever it was. And, and so now it's daylight. And so we pull in there (laughs) and I go around there and there's the horses just stand there looking at me like, where you been? And so I load the horses, John fills up with gas and, and there was a young guy working in the gas station and I'm loading the horse up and, and he comes out and he goes, I'll never forget this. This kid goes, what do you think you're doing? I said, well, we're loading these horses up. And he said, now it's same rig, but he looks at me and says, you're not the guy that left them here. And I, oh I said, well, I assure you they're mine. And then John stepped around the truck and said, yeah, I started driving. Remember me? And he said, yeah, I remember you. So okay. he said, I, I called the, I called the sheriff and they said, well, somebody will probably be back after him. And sure enough, there we were. And oh so, gosh. uh, so then now it's funny, of course, all yeah. these years later yeah. at the time I was pretty nervous and, and excited about it, but, uh, one, you know, it was just one of those funny things yeah. that now it's funny that happens on the, on the rodeo trail that people wouldn't believe if they didn't, didn't live through it. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. And our listeners love the travel stories. That's one of the, probably one of the most often asked questions. So they're going to appreciate this story. I have never heard a story quite like that, Dale. That's, that's, that's so, so when you travel, this will kind of tie into the listeners. When you cra- travel, how often do you stop, let them off, let them leg up? How can you do it in a safe place? What, what typically were you, were your habits? Well, we would stop every four or five hours, okay. uh, usually unless, you know, bad weather or something where, you, you know, you didn't want to get them out in it, but we would usually try to stop every four or five hours, walk around a little bit, give them, you know, offer them a drink of water, let them go to the bathroom. Uh, you know, trailers have changed a lot too. Now that most of these trailers that they're traveling in are, are so big, a horse, I usually, I always hauled geldings and, and so you know, the, those, those boy horses like to stretch out a little when they go to the bathroom. And, and so, uh, uh, now these trailers are so big and people putting shavings in their trailers, bedding and stuff. Okay. They, a lot of them will go to the bathroom in the trailer back then. 
the trailers were smaller, most of them, and there wasn't as much room for the horses. And, and so we tried to get them out often enough that, uh, you know, about like a person, you, you, every, every few hours you need to, you need to go to the bathroom and stretch your legs a little. And, uh, and so we tried to, tried to give them a little, give them a little break. Perfect. Perfect. That's great. That's great. Thank you for that. And speaking of horses, so we're going to go back to the dogging, and we're going to be talking about the dogging horse and the hazing horses here. What What is the building temperament that you're looking for in these horses? So a dogging horse, steer wrestling horse that the steer wrestler is going to jump off from and the hazer is going to ride beside. Building temperament, Dale. Well, you know, the, the kind of prototype for a steer wrestling horse is not – too tall, but, but big enough and strong enough to carry enough weight and, and weight hanging on their side. Some of the steer wrestlers are, are large size men. And so, you know, you need a horse that can carry that weight when you, when you hang off the side, it doesn't pull them off stride and, and so on. And, and the steer wrestling is a little unique compared to like a, a roping horse. Some of the, some of the same characteristics help with a good mind and that will score what we call score where they'll stand in the box flat footed and, and go when you want to go, not when they want to go where they're, they're watching the cattle, but, but you're, you know, the barriers, different lengths, different places. You might need to give the steer a, a longer head start or shorter head start. So you need to be able to control them and go when you want to go. But, but roping, I think for a, for a cow bred horse comes a little more natural because people that haven't been around horses, you know, probably haven't experienced, you know, like if you see a cutting horse and they're pinning their ears and getting down and following a, a, a calf or a cow's every move and stuff, they train them, but there's some natural instinct there. You know, a, mm-hmm. a horse that's what we call cowie, uh, you can, you can take and just, just naturally fall in behind a, a calf or a steer or a cow or whatever it might be. And they'll kind of pin their ears and go to them. It's a, it's a natural instinct, but that natural instinct is to rate that cow. And so like a rope horse, they'll run a, a you know, a tie down horse or a breakaway horse will run up behind them, but then they'll kind of naturally rate off and, and track that calf. And then, and then when you rope, you teach them to stop and, and work the rope and stuff. But where a steer wrestling horse, you kind of got a combination of you want them to have enough cow or they're paying attention and going to the, to the steer. Then they got to have a little of that racehorse runaway mentality that they're not going to raid off and stay alongside of them or behind them that they'll, you know, blow on by and, and run by. And you know, I, I think it becomes a game to them. You know, it's a, it's a race, just like a, just like a, a, you know, a horse race. They're, they're, they're in competition with that steer. I think a little bit in their mind, it's, it's a race, you know, they're trying to pass them and, and win the race. And uh, you know, that, that's, that's my thought anyway. I don't know. A horse philosopher probably will tell me I'm crazy, mm-hmm. but I think it, I think it's a bit of a game to them, but uh, to have a good one that will, you know, stay good for a long time. They got to be pretty gritty and tough. Uh, you know, if they don't have that real want to, and it's not fun to them, they don't really want to erase that steer, you know, after a while, they'll kind of give it up and start loafing and then you can't win on them. And then, you know, that'll, that'll cost you. So it, 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 it takes a, a pretty gritty, tough horse that, that wants to do it. And, and, uh, you know, in, in the steer wrestling, at some point you're turning them loose and getting off and they have to work on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not, 
you know, a, a tie down horse, the rope is, is always connected uh, to the horse or to the saddle. And, and there's always a, a, a connection there where the steer wrestling and team roping, you know, uh, you're roping the steer and dallying to your saddle and, and all those things, uh, where the steer wrestling at some point you're turning them completely loose and asking them to work completely on their own free of any of any tethers yeah so it's a little bit unique and and it is unique and i've noticed uh you know through through watching after the run the cowboy wants that horse to the end after he gets off he wants that horse all the way to the other arena other end of the arena and really wants to pick him up down there is that true Absolutely. And, you know, there's a few exceptions. I've seen some horses that will run back up the arena and, and they'll go ahead and catch them up there. But that's very, very rare. You always want to catch them at the other end so that they know that's where that's their place. That's okay. their place to go. Okay. And and because, uh, you know, unless something really goes wrong or it's a, an average, you know, steer wrestling, multiple go rounds that you might run one back down the fence or something to try to stay in the average, you know, 99% of the time it's one run straight down through there to the back end. And so you want, I always want them to go to that back end and that's their, their place where you pick them up. Even, even if you've got multiple people riding the same horse and mm -hmm. you're going to go right back up the arena and somebody else is going to get on them and run a steer. Uh, you want to you want to catch them at the other end where they know that's 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 the finish line. Okay, yeah, and and absolutely. And one of the things you talked about was if it's not fun for the horse anymore, he's going to loaf a bit. Have you had yeah. horses go sour? They just said, "No, this is enough of this." Well, yeah, I've I've seen horses. Uh, I, I had some some horses that I had and lots of steer wrestling horses that I know of, they may have roped a little on them first. Okay. You know, maybe they're okay. team roping on them or something. And and they and and I've had guys tell me, man, this horse needs to be a steer wrestling horse. He I'm I'm heading steers on him and he scores good and he's good in the box and he can really run, but I'm pulling him up the whole time when I'm trying to rope. He doesn't have much rate. And he wants to run by mm -hmm. and, and sometimes you can find a, a good steer wrestling horse that way that it's already got some of the training in the box training and stuff, uh, <clears throat> you know, that that's, that's already, already part way along. And, and sometimes they'll just take to it and they do really want to run by and, and that's fun to them and, and they'll make a good steer wrestling horse. But I have seen where those guys, they feel like they're running off with them and they're constantly holding them up okay. to try to rope. Okay. But then when you really ask them to really run by, mm -hmm. uh, some of them will decide, you know what, that's not really what I want. And they'll <laughs> right. kind of give it up. Okay. And then you can go back to roping on them or you can make a hazing horse on them because you're, you're still riding the horse hazing you're, you're still in control and you can kick up there and, and control the horse and guide the horse as opposed to steer wrestling where you're just turning loose of the bridle reins and, and they've got a want to do it on their own okay perfect there were two other questions that came in and you just touched on them one is are the horses used for any other event during the same rodeo performance or weekend let's say you talk about roping team roping bulldogging have you seen that and and you've seen it at the highest levels i guess the question would be well yes i've i've seen it okay. i think it's less i think it's less prominent now i think uh uh, in my early days and even, and certainly before me, there was, 
there was more people. My, my mother and father-in-law, uh, had a horse that she ran barrels on and, and my, my mother-in-law did. And my, my father-in-law steer wrestled on back in their day. There was, there was other examples of that. Uh, sometimes somebody would, uh, there were certainly some, uh, tie down horses that they would heel steers on or rope steers on the horses kind of knew the difference in the events. One kind of unique thing that, that happened with me and, and horses that, that, that we've had is, oh, uh, in the, in the, uh, mid nineties, probably, uh, I had a hazing horse that was getting a little age on him and starting to slow down a step. And so I was kind of looking for a new, new hazing horse mm -hmm. and Clarence LeBlanc, that was one of my early traveling partners and stuff. He, he wasn't traveling much. He was, he was staying pretty close to home and, and he had a horse that, uh, they had run barrels on his, his aunt had run barrels on a little bit when he was young, a young colt, but he evidently wasn't making it as a barrel horse. And so, uh, Clarence took him and, and started hazing steers on him and he was making a, a good hazing horse. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to Clarence about him and he said, you know, I could take him and try him. And, and so I picked him up and took him and tried him and, and bought the horse. And, uh, he was a really good hazing horse. I mean, he's one of the best ones I've had and he could really run. And, and, uh, so my wife had a, a different barrel horse at the time. So one day I'm just here at home out in the arena, just, just exercising horses. We weren't practicing or anything. I'm just riding some horses and exercise them. And the barrels were set up in the arena. And so I'm out there all by myself. And so I'm on this horse that, that, that I'm hazing on. And, and so I just breezed him through the barrel pattern and man, he just ate the barrels up and okay. just acted like he, he knew all about that. And, and we know the lady that rode him when he was, when he was young. And, and so I got up to the bar and I jokingly told Kathy, my wife, yeah. I said, you're riding the wrong horse. Cause, uh, this, my horse can fly and he can outrun your horse. And you know, I'm, I'm, kind of joking. Yeah. But anyway, she said, yeah, right. You know, she wouldn't have sold that horse if he was any good. I said, well, I don't know, but I, I ran him through the barrels out there <laughs> and he knows what's going on. And so, so she started riding him some and taking him with some jackpots and stuff. And it turned out she qualified for the IFR on him a oh, few wow. times and, oh, wow. and he made a really good barrel horse. Well, for the first couple of years, well, she was running barrels on him and he was a really tough horse and, kind of, kind of mean and kind of ornery. I mean, he had kind of a, you know, not, not terrible disposition, but he's just one of those kind of, I always had a little edge to him. And, and the, the more you used him kind of the better he was like, he needed, he needed a job. He needed okay. to do something, just standing around and, and eating and, and, you know, just getting fat and sassy, he would be a handful. So, so anyway, we were hazing steers and running barrels on him. Wow. One, one year at the IFR, and it was five go-rounds back then, she rode him in the barrel racing, and I hazed, I think I had uh, uh, six or seven guys riding one of my horses, a couple guys riding another horse, and I hazed for a couple more guys that had their own horses. I hazed probably 12 steers a night on him, <laughs> and then she would run barrels on him, and, and really it was just right because yeah. he was he was – he was ready to go by the time they got to the barrel racing. And, and uh, so he was pretty unique that way. But I mean, we hazed 
a lot of steers on him and she would run barrels on him and and uh it, it was funny I, so we're constantly changing saddles right at right. these rodeos or <laughs> slack after the rodeo so i've got a like a roping saddle on him to haze out of and then i'd have to put the barrel saddle on him and then she'd run barrels and then back to the hazing saddle and and so finally i got tired of all that saddling and unsaddling and and so uh She's much smaller than me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, I let her stirrups all the way out to see if I could just haze in that barrel saddle. Cause sometimes <laughs> she might be in the slack, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm hazing a steer and then boom, the barrel racing's next. And so, so, so I started just hazing out of her barrel saddle and people would make fun of me, but I didn't care. And, <laughs> and, I, 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 and so, and so, and so uh, whoever hazed for me would have to get on there and, and ride that barrel saddle. Oh and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kathy, Kathy's, uh, not much over a hundred pounds and about five and a half feet tall. And I'm six, two and, you know, 225 or 30 pounds were, were, uh, I'm, I'm twice her size, but I'd be packed in that little barrel saddle and, and, say, yeah. and, and haze and steer. So, uh, that, they, that would, that would be a good, uh, good joke for people to make fun of me. But anyway. <laughs> wow. I know those, uh, the barrel racing saddles are a lot smaller just in general, um, so yeah, I'll bet you were packed in there. Um, have yeah. you ever, um, can a dog and horse switch to become a hazen horse and vice versa? Have you seen that much? Uh, absolutely. So okay. some of the, some of the steer wrestling horses I had, I hazed on them first to get them started. Uh, it's a good, it's a good learning experience. I, I've even had some that you could switch back and forth after you'd, uh, done it, uh, uh, one year at. Duval's uh, steer wrestling jackpot. Every spring, Duval's in Chicago, Oklahoma, have a big steer wrestling jackpot. It, it used to be at Roy Duval's house. Now it's at the Roundup Club, and and uh, Sam and Spud Duval and Riley Duval put it on. But when Roy and Bill had the had the jackpot out at Roy's house, it is a big event. I mean, they get hundreds of steer wrestlers, and you know, one of the one of the premier steer wrestling jackpots that ever ever has been, and it's still going on. So. So one year there, they have a, on Friday, they have a, like a four for 500, a big event. And then on Saturday, they have a 19 and under and a 40 and over. And then on Sunday, they have a, an open jackpot. And, and so Oakberry was going to some rodeos with me. We were traveling together some and, and, uh, I was actually using Oates Hazen horse and, and, uh, and so mine, I, mine was hurt, and so I was using his, and and he wanted to give his a day off. So the one, actually, both steer wrestling horses I had, I had hazed on them before. Mm-hmm. And so on Saturday for the for the forty and over, uh, we just I rode one and he rode the other, and we just switched sides. And he hazed on the one that he was bulldogging on for me, and vice versa. And and uh, people looked at us like we were crazy. We just you know, one time he ran a steer and there was only one or two guys and I was up and mm. we just got on the other horse and switched sides and rode in there and, <laughs> and, wow. and, 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 and he won the jackpot on, oh, you know, wow. he won the 40 and over that okay. day and stuff. And, and, uh, so it, it, the, on Friday, uh, on Friday, the, the Ronnie Fields won the four for 500 on the, on the one bulldogging horse. And then the next day, Oat won the 40 and over on the other horse oh, wow. with me hazing on the, on the one Ronnie road. And, and, uh, anyway, it's just kind of, they, they were, they were a couple of horses that, you know, they were fine on either side and, and worked just as well, either, either side. And yeah, and you could control them enough, 
the haze of steer, you know, if you needed to raid off and some bulldogging horses just run off and you can't, it's hard to haze on them because they're just, they won't stay alongside the steer. They'll just blow by where the, the, those two, you could still kind of control them a little bit. So, so it, it happens sometimes, but it's a good way to get them started. Okay. Wow. I didn't know all that. That's excellent. Uh, difficulties, another listening question, listener questions, difficulty taking horses across state lines, uh, into fairgrounds or out of the country. I know you traveled up to Canada challenges there. Uh, yeah. And, and as, as my career went on, it kind of got more prevalent where they checked for, for papers, more, uh, Coggins and health papers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and each state has its own, uh, rules and regulations on that. So you, uh, most of them, as long as you keep a current health paper within 30 days and, a and a current Coggins within some states are six months and some are 12 months. So you kind of got to be be aware of that and if you keep the papers with you usually you'll 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 get along pretty good i i never forget one time i was in uh missouri over there in south east missouri and i was driving north on interstate 55 and and i'm going up through there and i may have been driving a little bit faster than the speed (laughs) limit trying to get somewhere and and uh I see the lights come on behind me and I'm thinking, Oh no, I'm getting a ticket. And, and I pull over and, and I thought it was a highway patrol and, and the guy came up there and he was a livestock inspector. He had a car like a highway patrol and in a uniform that looked somewhat like a highway patrol. And he said, uh, I need to see the Coggins and health paper for these horses. And, and, uh, my heart quit beating fast and, and I was so relieved. I had my papers in order and, and I was more than happy to show Show him my papers because I and I didn't get a speeding ticket. He didn't even mention how fast I was going. So it, <laughs> that's it, excellent. Now, did it, he it have? Did he have to crawl in and inspect the horses to verify that those horses matched up with your papers? Uh, he could see through okay. the through the like the head door on the trailer and stuff. He Their just markings. went back there and verified. You know this this horse should, you know fits this description, and okay. you know he he didn't make us get him out of the trailer or anything. Okay. He could see enough of them that the color matched and so on and so forth. And okay. So. <laughs> so let's shift to steers. Here's another listener question: uh, What's the breed, size, build that you're looking for as a steer wrestler? Well, so, uh, and as still the predominant breed is, is Mexican Corriente cattle. Uh, I think that's certainly the, the preferred choice, uh, uh, now they've, they've gotten a little harder to come by than what they, than what they used to be. And so, uh, there's also an American Corriente, which is the same sort of breed, but they raise them in the, in the U S they're, they're a little different, but but uh and then uh native cattle longhorns and stuff have become more widely used because of the uh one the coriannis from mexico have gotten very expensive and and not as easy to come by and some states and and canada it's really hard to to get uh coriannis into uh just the testing that they require and stuff so a lot of those states and and certainly in canada they they pretty much run longhorn cattle and so that's that's changed a little bit the the steers not in every case i think they've got they're 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 smaller as as a general rule they're smaller now than like when i started to rodeo 
I think, again, the cattle coming out of Mexico were more plentiful and easy to get, and they were they were a little older steers, even though they were fresh and new to rodeo. Uh, I've never been off down there in Mexico, but I've talked to people that that go down there and and that buy and buy cattle and deal in in Coriani cattle, and they said if you go off down in there deep into Mexico, uh, back years ago, I don't know if it's still this way. You know, there's the steers are sort of open range down there, and some of these families that are living in very poor conditions, they'll catch some if they can, and they'll have a little pen for them. I've even heard stories that they might have one tied up to the to the porch on the front of their house, and uh, uh, and then these buyers will come around and and you know buy them and load them up and and you know get the papers and they put them in quarantine and stuff, and then cross them into the U.S. And so, but they used to be bigger. And so a couple of things happened. One, they kind of took those older steers out of the, out of the population, you know, and brought them into the U S and used them in rodeo and, and ropings and stuff. And then also, I think they've imported some, uh, U S cattle down there into Mexico and some have went the other way. And so the really purebred Coriannis, uh, that we used to get, are not as not as plentiful now they might have a little more bramer in them or you know other other u.s influence because uh it made the cattle beefier and you know more more for for that line of of you know (laughs) it it made it made more more beef cattle down there but it also kind of uh polluted if you will the the coriani market so so that's changed a little bit but you know the the steers uh we used to run some steers that that weigh you know sometimes six or seven hundred pounds when i first started and and now that's really rare a lot a lot of the steers now you know 400 to 450 a 500 pound steer now is is pretty big uh most rodeos they're not going to be heavier than that there there's some exceptions some keep them around longer or or feed better and you know, they, they've got bigger steers, but, but most of them now are probably, you know, four to four fifty, five hundred 500 on the top end. And where it used to be, uh, we ran some smaller ones sometimes back then too, but they were as a general rule, bigger, mm-hmm. bigger steers and bigger okay. frame. And I can remember, I used to get some steers for some stock contractors in the spring and precondition them for them, get them ready to go and run them and throw them down, you know, get them ready to go to the rodeo. And, and uh, there were some of those steers. They were they would be fresh from Mexico, but they were already four and five years old. Uh, you know, because and they just you know their breed and the conditions down there, they just hadn't got too big to run yet. They'd have big horns. You know, their horns would would be bigger than a lot of them are now because uh, you know I was looking the other day the picture that I had sent you off the cover of old Rodeo News uh, when when we talked last time. Uh, that steer is not real big. He's not real tall, but you can see his horns are, you know, about as long as my arm nearly on each right. side of his head. You right. know, they were, right. they, they, they were framier and, and bigger horns back then. Now a lot of them are, are smaller frame and smaller horns just because they're, their age, they're, they're crossing them earlier and they're, they're younger cattle. Okay. And, and the, the, the size of the horns, the length of the horns, more challenges, less challenges, doesn't really matter. Well, uh, you know, 
I like the, the, the bigger horn cattle. I mean, you have more leverage, and especially when they, when the steers themselves were bigger, you needed more leverage, right? Because, because they were bigger, stronger animals, but, uh, uh, you know, and there's less chance of getting kind of pulled by a horn, you know, if the steer lets off a little, there's more horn to catch and, and less chance that you slip a horn, you know, when you're steer wrestling, you turn them back and get them by the nose to wrestle them to the ground. If they got little short horns, it's more of a chance of them slipping a horn ah, by and okay. getting away. So okay. I, I like the bigger horn ones, but not so big. They can't fit through the chute, you know, kind right. of that happy medium where they <laughs> turn their head to get through. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the, and the Coriannies had, have a tendency to turn up more, not right out of their ah, head, but grow yeah. some out and then turn up where longhorns, a lot of them will be a lot straighter. They'll just grow, grow straighter out of their head and, okay. and straight out. So if they get too big, it's hard for them to get through the chute, you know, because they're not they're not turning up like a like a Corianis. So you might have to tip them back more, and so they'll fit through the chute. Okay, okay, all right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, this next set of questions is about the hazer. Mm-hmm. Jackie sent in a question, and she wanted to know: Can a hazer qualify for a championship? Just being a hazer. So, so there's no, there's no competition for the hazer. So there's not any awards given or a champion crowned as a hazer, but you can certainly do both. I mean, I hazed lots and lots of steers and, you know, as well as won championships as a steer wrestler, but there's, there's not any exact competition or prizes or, 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 you know, awards for the, uh, for the hazer, like the IPRA has a hazing horse of the year is an, is a voted on thing okay. by the members. Okay. And, and so the horse can win, but the, but the, the, the guy riding the horse doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, it's one of those jobs jokingly, we used to say, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's no, but nobody, Nobody notices you until you make a mistake, right? <laughs> right I mean, you can, right. you can, you, you, you know, you can haze a hundred of them in a row and get the job done and, and nobody even notices who's over there. And then the first time you screw up, it's like, oh, did you see that guy? And, and uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, the, the, yeah, there's not any, any real competition for them. Uh, you know, if they own the horse, they have, they got an opportunity to make money by hazing for guys that win. So there's incentive there to, do a good job besides just doing the right thing and wanting to give everybody the best opportunity that you can, Mm -hmm. the more they win on your horse or that you haze for them, uh, the more, the more money you make. So, so there's certainly a financial incentive. So, so if I'm, um, let me set up a scenario. We're talking about mount money. I understand that if I'm getting on a dog and horse and I win money, I'm going to pay money in, in what's called mount money to the owner of that horse. What if I've got my own dog and horse and I need you to haze for me on your horse? Is there any mount money if I win? Is there any mount money that is there a tradition? I guess is the question. Yeah, yeah it's customary. A lot of times you'll hear they pay twenty five percent of what they win. That's really they're paying uh, uh, an eighth for the steer wrestling horse and an eighth to the hazing horse. So, so if you have your own horse and and you ask me to haze for you on my horse, I'm gonna I'm gonna haze for you. And if you win something, I'm gonna okay. get an eighth of that as opposed to a fourth. Okay. But 
But if you ask to ride my steer wrestling horse and I have a hazing horse, I'm just going to automatically haze for you in most cases. So okay. I'm going to get I'm going to yeah. get the eighth for each, which is going to total the, the the fourth. But uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's it's it's really divided up an eighth each side. And I so see. so I yeah, see. you can you can make money even if you're just just hazing for somebody oh, okay. and they're they're riding their own horse. Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, and then the final question around the hazer: Can a steer wrestler? Pick whoever they want as a partner, a hazer, anytime, anytime. Uh, for example, the IFR. Uh, and then the, the kind of sub-question to this, does the hazer need to be entered? Uh, so, so you can choose anyone to, to haze for you. Uh, now, as I kind of mentioned earlier, if you ask to ride my steer wrestling horse and I have a hazing horse, I'm just – it's mm-hmm. a package deal. I'm going to haze for you. And, you know, unless I choose not to or say, Hey, why don't you get somebody else? But that's kind of just customary that if I have a, a team of horses and you ride my, my steer wrestling horse, I'm going to, I'm going to haze also. But, uh, but, but yeah, you can, you can ask any, anybody there and, and they don't have to be entered in the steer wrestling. Okay. I've had, uh, I've had either guys that used to steer wrestle that don't anymore haze for me. And I've had, uh, I've had, uh, some tie down ropers that travel with me or, or that I know are good cowboys and, and can ride a horse good haze for me. And, and they, they're, they're not entered in the steer wrestling, but, okay. but they're, you know, they know, they know how to haze. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, let's go to the barrier. You spoke about the barrier earlier, how the horse scores and, and all that sort of thing. How is the barrier length determined? That's one question came in. Is the barrier always the same? The same length is the other question. Yeah, so it, it varies from rodeo to rodeo. And so there's rules in the rule book that give the judge the guidelines to set it up by. And and primarily it's the it's the how deep the box is, the the box that you back into. Uh, so you'll take the, the, the length of that box or how deep it is and subtract from there to, to establish the length of the barrier. Uh, and, and then there, there's some variance in there. It gives them some flexibility. If you, if you, if the arena is real short or you, you know, the condition of the steers, they either run real hard or they're slow or, you know, the, the judge has some discretion to make it a little longer, a little shorter to kind of kind of take that variable into account but primarily it's it's decided by the the length of the of the box okay and so and and then from there uh the, how much you need to see to get out of the barrier certainly depends on the length of the barrier but then also you got to factor in is the steers in general or the particular steer that you have if he has a track record if he's been run before if you can find out is he slow or fast because a slow one, you need to give a little more head start to keep from breaking the barrier, and a and a faster one, you can shave it down a little bit and go a little quicker, uh, you know, to try to to try to catch up. So there's there's several several variables in there, but but the the length is and and that changes every rodeo. Some some stock contractors have a lot of their rodeos are the same setup because uh, really, especially like in the Midwest, we have a lot of rodeos and you know. Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, and, and up through there that are, there are fair rodeos like mm-hmm. at county fairs. And mm-hmm. they might just be a portable arena in front of a grandstand. 
And so that uh, that stock contractor is kind of taking the same arena from rodeo to rodeo and, and setting it up, tearing it down. So if he has a if his box is 15 feet deep, you know, if it's 10 by 15, he's got that same setup at at several rodeos where uh, in, in it, not just in Oklahoma, in this part of the country, but certain parts of the country have a lot more permanent arenas that are up year round and they don't set them up just for the rodeo. And so then you might have a 15 foot box and, or a 14 and you might have a 20 foot box. And so there's, there's lots of differences there. And, and so you adjust the the barrier according to the, to the, uh, uh, how deep the box is and a little bit, the size of the arena and the, and the cattle that you're going to run. Okay. Okay. Did you ever get on a streak of broken barriers yourself, Dale? Well, sometimes I don't, I don't know if I would remember a, a real streak, but you know, sometimes you're, and, and sometimes when you're either riding a different horse or, or you're riding different horses, if you're not hauling your own and every rodeo you go to, you know, you got to pick a, pick a different one or, you know, might not ride the same horse consistently. Uh, that, you know, one of the things that I liked about either traveling with the same person and riding the same horse all the time or hauling my own and riding the same one, you kind of get a much better feel for it. I, I, I think I was pretty good at scoring and figuring out the start. You're going to break the barrier once in a while, either, either something's going to happen, you know, you misjudge and the steer doesn't run quite as hard as you think or something like that. And then sometimes like the, the competition is so tough, like Mm -hmm. you're backing in there and, and, you know, four flat is winning the last hole. Well, you can't miss the barrier at all and have a chance to win. So you might, take a little more of a chance and, and really try to what we call knock the barrier out of there, really nail the start. And, uh, because there's no, no room for error, no margin for error. And you got to just max out everything and to have a chance to win. So then you'll take a little more of a chance, but, but I, I, I wasn't, you know, I certainly broke some barriers, but I, you know, the, I think I went to the IFR 10 times before I ever broke the barrier. Oh, the wow. IFR, really? You know, really? I mean, just, okay. just, and, and, and not that it was a difficult start, but, you know, I, I think as, you know, generally I was pretty good at scoring and, and reading the barrier and the cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, and for our listeners, just give a typical length of a barrier, which means the head start for the steer. What is it in feet typically? Typically. Well, well, and so, uh, one of the formulas I had and, and uh, was I would, like the neck rope will, when I get there before the rodeo and I find out what I've got drawn or I go down and look at the steers or the setup. So if where the, where the barrier pins, uh, if I take the neck rope and put that pin in and run the neck rope around the front of it, mm-hmm. uh, and then pull it actually back to the corner that I'm going to back into. So it'll loop around there and pull back toward the corner. Mm-hmm. And so then I would pull it back there and where the neck rope reached, I would scratch a line on the ground with my foot. Oh wow! And so, and so then I would back in the, I'd stand in the back of the corner of the box where my horse would be. Mm-hmm. And I'd take two normal steps, which would give me about where my horse's chest is going to be. And so then I'd, I'd draw another line there. And then I would step that distance between the horse's chest and, and where the neck rope comes back to. And there it's, this isn't any exact science, mm-hmm. but 
if it was if it was four feet, if it was one step and another foot, mm-hmm. then it was probably going to be just right behind that steer. They just had to make forward motion. Now you'd have to oh. look at the the chute itself and see if are the gates real flat because if they're real flat, you're going to have to see a little bit more. If they're if they're veed a lot where that steer can get way up in the front of it, mm-hmm. then you can probably go a little quicker because where the barrier pins will be where the gate hinges, not where at the front of the gate, right? So, so that's a little bit of a variable, but, and then, and then if it's, if it's less than that four feet, if, you know, you got to adjust from there and give them a little more of a head start. And so, so anyway, it's, it's kind of probably doesn't make sense to somebody that hasn't really lived that and done that. Mm -hmm. But, but that was, that was one thing that I did to try to get an idea and then it's also an advantage to be further down in the competition. If you're first out, I see. Then you got to figure all that out for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're, you know, fourth or fifth, or if you get a run and a run after the rodeo and the slack, it's a big advantage to be able to watch the steers and see how hard they run and kind of what those. That's why you'll see at a rodeo, all those guys gathered up in the back of the box and and around the box that are really watching and studying the start mm-hmm. to see what those other guys are doing and where they ride on the barrier a little late, a little early and adjust accordingly. And, and the more you, the more steers that are run, the more guys will kind of figure it out and, and get it, get it nailed down. But, but that was a, a formula that I used okay. to try to get a rough idea of what I thought the start was going to okay. be. Okay. And then the final question, which kind of pulls it all together, you and the hazer are backed in the box on your horses. The the steer is loaded. What do the cowboys, both the hazer and the and the dogger, of course, and the horses watch to know when it's time to go? <laughs> so so, and, and and the steer wrestling, obviously, you know, in 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 the tie down roping or breakaway roping, you're on your own. There's only one person on a horse competing, and so right. you don't have that you know, that dynamic of, of an, an extra horse and, and rider team roping, you have to, so you got to pay attention there. But so in the steer wrestling, I mean, you, you, and that's why you want to have both a hazing horse, a steer wrestling horse that are, that are calm enough to stand in the corner and get everything set. Uh, it's the general rule. It's the hazer's responsibility. If he's not ready or doesn't feel like his horse is set to let the steer wrestler know that he's not ready. So, so if he backs in there, usually while they're pinning the barrier, the hazer will go ahead and turn around and get the corner. Then the steer wrestler, when they pin the barrier, will turn around and back in the corner. So if the hazer should be set before the steer wrestler, and, and then it's his responsibility, if he feels like his horse is going to move or he's not sitting comfortable or doesn't feel right, you'll say, hold up, hold up. Okay. Or, you know, get the steer wrestler to, because they're the ones that are going to nod and signal for the run to begin. So the, you know, the hazer doesn't control that. So then you'll, you know, he'll get his horse set and say, okay, you know, to let you know he's ready. And then when everybody's ready, uh, the, you know, the steer wrestler will nod to signal to the gate man to, uh, you know, to release the steer. But so you, you know, you got to get all that ready <laughs> and hopefully everybody, everybody's ready at the same time, but that's why you need horses. It's a big advantage to have horses on both sides that will stand there and focus on the steer and look mm-hmm. forward where, you know, as soon as, cause the steer is another variable, right? He might be fighting the shoot or turning around or turning his head or, you know, you want him kind of standing up in the front 
looking forward where they'll break clean. Uh, you don't want them with their head turned around, looking up, looking back at you and, and things like that. So you also got, you know, somebody over there getting the steer's head straight. And so you want the horses to be able to stand there. So when that steer gets right, you know, cause you haven't trained the steer, right? You've right, trained right. the horses and hopefully right. you got them doing right. what they're supposed to do. But if you can get them ready so that when the steer gets ready, you can nod and, and, and everybody's ready to go. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And, and one of my favorite sayings that I've heard over the years is to make a perfect steer wrestling run, five minds have to come together. <laughs> the horses, <laughs> two horses, two cowboys at a steer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, you, you can, if you want to throw another wrinkle in, you can even sprinkle the gate man in there and, and the guy getting the steer's head and the pushing the steer and, you know, and, and all those things. But yeah, the, the, the horses and the, and the guys riding them and the steer have to kind of get, get, get synced up and, 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 and get on the same page in the playbook. And these horses are ready to run. They're keyed up typically when they get backed in the box. And and I've seen them rear up and move out and want to go before, you know, because they've sat too long. So you got to kind of watch that too? Well, yeah. And so, again, an advantage if you've got one that will stand there flat-footed yeah. and be ready to go yeah. and but not do those things. But, yeah, they're, they're high-strung animals. And, and, and I think a lot of that, anticipation and want to is because they they do understand the game i mean they they figure it out like i said earlier it's like a a horse race you know they want to win they know that pretty soon that steer is going to take off and the and the goal in the game is to pass that steer and so they want to be ready and they're on the muscle ready to go so that when you you know what we say drop the clutch turn the bridle reins loose they're 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 ready to go and and of course primarily quarter horses are, are used and, you know, fastest, you know, horse there is from, you know, for a, a short distance and, and they can really accelerate out of there and, 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 you know, get that steer caught. You bet. Perfect. Well, I thank you for all your questions and I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, they listened to your episode and, and they sent me questions. So it, it's great. <laughs> you know, in, in some cases we have listeners that don't know a ton about rodeo. So we're we're hoping to educate as we do this. So so thank you for those great explanations, Dale, and and to our listeners, thank you for sending the questions and keep them coming. <clears throat> um, let's let's move a little bit, Dale. Let's transition. You're eleven times steer wrestling champion. You're a rodeo cowboy, and you decide to get involved in management leadership of the International Professional Rodeo Association. If my records are correct, you started out as on the board of directors as the steer wrestling director and served some time there. Could you talk a little bit about the board of directors and how you how you came into that role? Have you had an interest in transitioning into management? Well, so uh, when I first got on the board as a steer wrestling director, I was probably, gosh, 20 three or four years old, not very old. And, uh, and so, uh, a guy named Leon McCoy was the current steer wrestling director. And, and, uh, he had, he was a older guy that had been steer wrestling for a long time and, and been around rodeo a long time, really, you know, very knowledgeable. And, and, uh, and so 
he wasn't going to be traveling much and stuff and he wanted to slow down. And so he, he decided it was probably a good time for him to step down as, as steer wrestling director, just because he wasn't, didn't have the time to dedicate to it and wasn't going to be traveling much. And mm-hmm. so, so he, he resigned his position. And so I don't remember who it was, but somebody that was on the board approached me about, Hey, Leon's uh, resigning from the board. And so there wasn't a, an election you know, scheduled. And so, cause there are two year terms for the, oh, okay. for the directors on the board. And so he was mid, you know, somewhere in, in, during his term. And so they asked me if I would be interested in, in fulfilling his position, the board would appoint somebody to fill the rest of his term. And then it would go back on the normal election cycle every, every two years. So, so, uh, you know, at that point, I guess I was flattered that they would ask me, but uh, so so probably partly out of naivety, I uh, I said uh, I said <laughs> sure I you know I, I would be interested and 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 I and I was you know I guess a little bit flattered that they would ask me and I always would want to be somebody that was trying to give back to something that I liked or cared about and and so I thought that was you know an opportunity to to, to do that and, and get involved that way so. So I said, yeah, I would, I would be interested in that. And so the board took that action and, and, uh, you know, one of somebody nominated me to fulfill that position and, and the board approved it. And so there I went. And, and so at that age, uh, I, I'm sure I thought I knew a lot more than I did <laughs> and, and, and all of that, but I, I got involved and, and so, uh, and, and I, I, I ne- have never regretted it because it, it gives you, uh, I've seen over the years, lots of people come and go on the board, but it's good for almost everybody that I've seen do it. Some, some, it overwhelms them and it, and it becomes, uh, a, a kind of a hindrance because they get to the rodeo and somebody wants to talk to them about the, the business side or a decision that's made or, you know, different things that, that takes them, uh, you know, a little bit away from the competition part of it. But most people, when they get on there, it's 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 uh it it gives you a new perspective you see kind of some sides of rodeo that you're probably not familiar with because most of us either are a are a competitor or like their stock contractors that are on the board that's all they know is you know putting on rodeos and and uh and then you have some committee people that represent the rodeo committees on the board and and the different pieces of the puzzle that all you know they kind of know what they do but they may not know what the other sides of rodeo and, and what everybody deals with so hopefully everybody comes together for the greater good and and makes decisions that's 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 best for the you know the rising tide raises all ships right and so you know they come together and make decisions that everybody will benefit from as a whole and and the whole organization will will benefit from but it it, it does open your eyes and give you a new perspective to and and you hear those those contractors or those committees share their experiences and what they deal with. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, you know, very enlightening and, and those kinds of things. Now, as I said, it's sometimes a little bit of a headache because you have to list the problems and there's some responsibility there because you represent not only the, like as an event director, the, the, the people in your event and trying to make it better for them, but also 
make good decisions, uh, you know, for the, for the greater good and, and that everybody will benefit from. Yeah. So how did that though, how many years were you a steer wrestling director for the IPRA? Oh, I think the first time, uh, for, uh, three or four years, I okay. think I fulfilled his term. So that had about a year left on it and then serve maybe two more terms so probably about five and then uh and then stepped away for a little bit and then got back that so that would have been kind of mid 80s still Mm -hmm. when i first got on there Mm -hmm. and then uh stepped away in the late 80s and then in the early 90s i ran for steering director again and and got elected and and uh, served uh, another term or two and then and then ran for vice president and and eventually for president. Okay. So for our listeners, um, so you had a board of directors, you had a president, a vice president, uh, but there wasn't a general manager like there is today. Is that correct? Well, in, in that, that role and position has kind of changed a little bit over the years. So at one time, there wasn't anybody like that. I mean, there was an office staff and office manager and then uh, along the way. And, and when I first got on the board, there was, uh, I think the position then was called executive director, uh, which is somebody very similar to what I do now. It was just a different name on the position that okay. oversaw the, 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 the day-to-day business and stuff. And we have a full-time office staff that, that, you know, somebody has to be in charge of also. And, and, uh, and so, uh, then, uh, and that position, the name actually changed in 2007 when I took that position, uh, just because I, I, not to blow my own horn, but I probably could have kept it executive director, probably mm-hmm. could have been CEO or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I personally thought general manager was a pretty good term because it was managing all these pieces and, and trying to, trying to manage the whole thing. And, and, uh, and almost like a GM, uh, in a, in a sports franchise that, that, uh, you know, you, you have a, a coach or the different things and, and the different pieces and, and, uh, but the, the general manager kind of oversees all of that and makes sure that those, those other pieces, have what they need or you try to try to get them what they need. So, so that's when the position, the name of it changed to, uh, to general manager. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And, and for our listeners, I want to back up just a little bit. We're going to get more into some of the duties and, and things that you're involved in, but we want to talk about the international professional rodeo headquartered in Oklahoma city in the stockyard district of Oklahoma city. Uh, founded in 1957, known then as the Interstate Rodeo Association. And then mm-hmm. over time, that changed, Dale, to the Inter- uh, International Rodeo Association. And then it sounds like in 1983, from my research, the word professional was added. Um, and so it became the IPRA, the International Professional Rodeo Association. And just a little bit of information that I was able to glean, you sanction about 400 rodeos a year across the United States? Yeah, and, and we, need, <laughs> we need to update it. It's yeah. grown since then. Okay. Uh, we, we uh, this year, 2023, uh, last I looked, 
now this is with some of the co-sanction agreements that we have and stuff too. So we, we co-sanction with some state and regional associations. And so not all of them are IPRA, what we call first sanction rodeos, but we'll have over 600 rodeos in, oh, wow. in 2023 that we're involved with. Okay. So, and yeah. and there, uh, that includes your co-sanction IPRA first. Yeah. Is yeah, the 600. Yeah. The, the, that are IPRA first, and mm-hmm. some of those are IPRA second. So okay. in the northeast part of the U.S., we have a co-sanction agreement with the APRA, American mm-hmm. Pro Rodeo Association, mm-hmm. that, that's, that we've had that agreement for a long time and have worked with them for a number of years, decades now. And and so some of those rodeos might be APRA first and IPRA second. But, okay. But all in probably – Probably about 400 of those 600 are IPRA first, and then a couple hundred would be another association first. But our members still go to them in the points count and all those things. And so uh, uh, there, there's a, a, a lot of rodeos under the under the umbrella. Yeah. And for our listeners, co-sanction means I can ride with both an IPRA card and an APRA card in a co-sanctioned rodeo, as Dale was just describing, or I can ride just with an APRA card or just with an IPRA card. But if I do well at that rodeo and I'm holding both cards, my points count for the IPRA standings and they count for the APRA standings. And you know, when we think of the history of rodeo, Dale, that wasn't that's a fairly new invention. Back in the day, I'm hearing some stories that they would war against one association might war with another association. Um, it, do you remember some of those days? Well, the the, the biggest example of that <laughs> that, that I remember in, in my time yeah. was when I when I started to to compete and 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 moved to Oklahoma to hit the rodeo trail. The, the PRCA still had a rule in place, and, mm-hmm. and the PRCA doesn't co-sanction like we do with the right. state and regional associations. They they do have a sort of a co-sanction with the WPRA that sanctions barrel racing and breakaway roping, and they do some stuff with the CPRA in western Canada, but with mm-hmm. Calgary and some of those big rodeos out there. But, mm-hmm. but the PRCA used to have a rule that if uh, you had a PRCA card, you couldn't be a member of or compete at. Uh, other rodeos that that weren't sanctioned by the by the PRCA, and then the IPRA had a rule that said uh, you can't compete at any rodeos that won't allow our members to be members. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So so they would literally have people turn people in if somebody yeah. had a PRCA card and slipped off, so to speak, and went to an IPRA rodeo, and somebody turned them in, uh, they would get fined and and other penalties, and vice versa. Uh, you know, there were people that uh, had IPRA cards that would get turned in, mm-hmm. and if they would see the results or whatever and prove that they went to a a, a, a PRCA rodeo, they would they would lose their points and stuff. I mean, it was a very serious, considered a very serious offense, and and uh, there were people that lost their points in the standings. Uh, may have cost them a trip to the to the IFR if they got caught going to a PRCA rodeo. And, and so, wow. you know, people that rodeo now, the, 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 you know, the younger people that are rodeoing now, most of them don't know that ever existed. Right. And they, they're just shocked when you say, you know, I, when I was still competing, I, you know, I said something driving down the road one day to the, and it, you know, I was the oldest one in the truck. And I said something about, I said, well, back before they opened it up and you could go anywhere and they go, 
what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, so I explained to them and they were like, really? I mean, they, they couldn't believe that, <laughs> that it used to be that way, but, uh, uh, you know, so, so that's behind us now. And so since then, co-sanctions have become a lot more, more prevalent and, and, uh, most and the contestants have gotten used to it and mm-hmm. and a lot of them they want the you points bet. to count you know multiple places and and give them a chance to make more more finals and and win awards and in multiple organizations so absolutely and and um how many members what's your membership right now what's your membership base Dale? uh i think we'll be about 3000 this year great great and it was twenty nine hundred and some the last time I looked. Really? Okay, great, great. And and one of the places, one of the we have seen the IPRA really expand into Canada. Wasn't that long ago? There might be ten, twelve rodeos up there. And right now, I'm reading that you sanction about forty rodeos up there. IPRA Canada sanctions those rodeos up there now. Yeah, uh, we started. Uh, uh, over the years, there's occasionally been a rodeo in, in Canada, uh, you know, a long time ago, there was a few producers that would go up there and do some at, at, at Toronto and places like that. I can remember going to Thunder Bay, Ontario, uh, right up above the point of Minnesota, you know, years ago, back in the eighties and stuff. But then, uh, it, it, pretty much was non-existent for a while. And then somewhere along in the, in the 1990s, uh, a lot of it started with, with St. T that I know you visited Mm -hmm. in September. Uh, that rodeo was really growing at both in prize money and, and uh, attendance and, and that festival, it was really, I mean, it had been a big thing for a long time, but they, they started in the sixties, but they wanted to, uh, sort of be part of something bigger and, and sanction with the IPRA. So it started as a co-sanction and, and that was a lot of our foot in the door in Eastern Canada. And, and so a lot of our members started going up there. So then some of the other rodeos became interested in, uh, you know, in, in being part of the IPRA and, and the producers that were putting them on. And, and so, uh, uh, Sylvan Bourgeois with wild time productions, uh, that's the that's the uh, general manager of the rodeo at St. Tite. Also, uh, he him and B.J. Prince, that's Rawhide Rodeo in Ontario. Uh, they were the two of the main players that that I met with and talked to and and tried to. There was a lot of interest there to to be part of the IPRA and and a chance for us to really expand our footprint up there. And so working with those guys, uh, and, and they started bringing their rodeos to sanction with the IPRA. We started to sell a Canadian membership for the, for the contestants that didn't want to cross the border and try to qualify for the IFR. They could buy a Canadian card, which is the same basic membership. It just doesn't come with the insurance because we have, they have national health care in Canada. So they didn't need the, the accident insurance the same way that, that our U.S. members did, or people, you know, on this side of the border, and so it, it went from there. And then we created a Canadian finals for the all of those rodeos. It's it's similar to a region finals for for Canada. All the rodeos in Canada count toward it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so 
they can they those rodeos count toward the IFR, but if they're not going to cross the border and they just want to stay home in Canada, there's still a, a really nice finals for them to qualify for. And and then then uh, along the way, uh, uh, ERQ Joey Tardif in Quebec uh, came on board and brought uh, his rodeos. And now just this year, uh, uh, the Fishers uh, Matt Fisher and and uh, and his brother. Uh, and family joined as stock contractors, and I think they produced five rodeos this year and and brought those into the fold and and so it's been kind of slow, steady growth. One of the things that we wanted to do was uh, grow the membership along with the number of rodeos instead of just trying to have forty rodeos year one or fifty. Uh, when there wasn't enough, you know, contestants to support those rodeos. So as the membership grew, uh, you know, you never have the perfect mix, but you try to make sure you have enough members or contestants to service service the rodeos as well. And so uh, it's been a been a good fit and good partners up there to work with, and and we've seen a lot of growth, uh, not only in number of rodeos and number of members, but the prize money of the rodeos has grown, uh, you know, St. St. Teat being the, the, the largest, but they have the Canada cup the first weekend and add 10,000 in a band and then come back the next week and have the, 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 I guess you'd say regular IPRA sanctioned rodeo, uh, with, uh, 15,000 added per event. And so, you know, it's a, it's a very, very sizable rodeo. And, and as you saw the production of it and stuff is, is, uh, second to none it's it's quite a quite an experience oh it absolutely is yeah no we had a great great time up there you know i was looking at the standings this morning the uh the the, the annual standings and our listeners you can find those on the ipra website you can you can watch and see who's competing in each of these events and one thing that stood out for me dale were those canadian connections are you seeing a bit of an increase in the number of canadians that are qualifying for the ifr Absolutely, and and as as we gain rodeos up there, and and the membership grows, you know, the natural progression is that that more of them will qualify for the IFR, and and so now, uh, you know, for, unfortunately, 2020, when when we, we all dealt with COVID around the globe, but but Canada. I don't know if they were hit harder as far as number of cases, but there, there, the, the, the country shut down a lot more than the, than the U S did and stayed shut down longer. And so, so 2020, uh, there were very few, if any Canadians qualified, I think, I think, uh, Cody Musso did because he, he was, he was in the U S when things shut down and, uh, he had, a some sort of a visa or something to stay in the U S and so he rodeoed in the U S and qualified, but he, he, he is a Canadian and, and there was a, you know, a couple of exceptions like that, but primarily no Canadians made it that year because there was no activity up there. You know, they didn't, they weren't allowed to have any, any rodeos. And, and then 2021 came back and, and it was, they had some rodeos, but it was still not a full schedule and a few more Canadians qualified, but not, not as many as, as what we had had before that. Then last year, things were, you know, 2022, I guess back to normal, if as much as you could, you could say that where there was, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll have, and I haven't looked at it this year. Of course, the, the year's not over till the end of November. So there'll be a little bit of 
of changes in the standings between now and the end of November. But, uh, you know, we, we, we very likely will have, uh, you know, 30 or so, give or take a few uh, Canadians at the IFR. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty good, pretty good percentage and, uh, and, uh, great opportunity for them. And, and, and it's raised, since I first went up there to Canada and competed like at St. Tiet, the, the, the level of competition has been raised there. I mean, uh, there was always some in a few events, uh, primarily the rough stock events that were very competitive at any level, but I've really seen a change in the timed event competition up there in the last, you know, 20, 25 years that, uh, uh, because they've, they've been exposed to, to people that, that, you know, did it better or faster or whatever. And they learned from them. And there's been guys from the U S went up there and did schools and stuff. And, and, and the, you know, as competition, you're only as good as your competition, right? So if you could, if if you could win before at a certain level, now that the, the bar has been raised, they've gotten better. And now there, there's lots of time to make contestants that are, that are competitive at the IFR or, or anywhere else that, that come from Eastern Canada. It's really, Really, uh, I've seen a lot of a lot of progress there. Perfect, perfect. And and some of the New York connections. You know, we talk a lot about the Northeast, kind of the basis of our show. Uh, in mm-hmm. the saddle bronc riding, we got Eli Hirschberger and Ray Hotstedler that uh, are going to be headed your way uh, for the mm-hmm. IFR. And then Kentucky's got two brothers, I believe, Rudy and Eli Troyer. Look like they're going to get qualified in the saddle bronc riding. So exciting to see Kentucky represented down there this year. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we've got several, several rodeos in Kentucky as well, but yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, good, good competitors and, and athletes from there too. Okay. And, and you talk about expansion and growing and more members and more rodeos, you know, um, there's an interesting part of your website called innovations that I found really, really interesting. Uh, 1964, you created the, the, created a board of governors, including the representatives that you talked about, uh, stock contractors, fans, contestants, et cetera, that, that made the rules for the rodeos and for the association. And in 1961, this stood out for me, the IP, IPRA became the first rodeo association to recognize cowgirls barrel racing as a world champion event way ahead of the time, 1961. And it goes on further and says women have regularly served on on your board, on your governing boards. Um, And then in 1963, you started a clinic for the education of rodeo judges with an illustrated guide or an illustrated handbook coming out in 1969. And finally, along the judging, 1996, you formed a senior pro judges program. A lot of innovation here so far in the sport of rodeo, Dale. Yeah, and, you know, rodeo is a very traditional sport. And, and I never want to get away from that because it's, it's, you know, kind of who we are and what we are in our core and, and the cowboy mentality and frontier spirit and, and all of that. Uh, but you know, there, there, it is a competition as well. And so you need to make improvements and advancements as you go along. And so, yeah, you know, it, it, people may not think about it, but you know, in the, in the early sixties, when they started, 
those judging clinics and one thing or another and had illustrations uh, that were that were drawn to show what a markout is in the in the in the bareback and saddle bronc riding and and the different things and uh, you know the the legal catches in the team roping and, and just different things that you could illustrate you know now we're so used to the digital age that we live in uh, you know we just think about video and 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 digital you know drawings that we can do and diagrams and stuff well that wasn't that wasn't a thing back then. You know, you had to you had to sketch something out and you know uh, uh, make copies and and that sort of thing and and hand out and and uh, you know now uh, we still print rule books, pocket sized rule books, and we send them to all the judges and secretaries where they can keep them with them and any other member that requests one. But like myself, I don't carry a rule book with me anymore. Mm-hmm. I download the rule book from the website to the to the iBooks on my iPhone and then I just have it with me wherever I am because I have my phone and I can look stuff up right there on on my phone you know that's just the the way things have changed but back then uh you know the 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 IPRA then the IRA was kind of on the forefront of of forward thinking and putting some of those things in place to to advance rodeo and and try to make it better and more consistent where where these judges were educated where it's still there's still some opinion call opinion calls right mm-hmm. which horse was the hardest to ride and and which guy made the best ride and some of that but the more you can uh, get everybody on the same page and thinking alike is what that what that perfect spur ride should look like and and show exactly what that mark out is it, it's not here and here it's right here here's the area where they're where the heels of their boots have to be, you know, the first jump and, and those things, any of that that you can do, it creates consistency. And even though, you know, you might, you might see things a little differently than, than me, if we're both judging a rodeo or two different rodeos, you know, you, you get a lot more consistent with education and showing people exactly what they should be looking for and breaking down a ride uh, you know, where again, you, you try to get some consistency where, you know, a horse that's a 21 pointer over here isn't a, isn't a 14 pointer over there. We should all be kind of looking for the same things and create some consistency. And, and, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's good for, for everybody in rodeo fans, as well as, as the contestants in the, in the personnel. You bet. And education has been part of the innovations that I'm that I'm looking at here. You established uh, the IPRA established a humane activities office in 1970, and that's that's to that's to educate the fan, right? To educate the community. Yeah, it's it's a combination of things. Certainly, to educate the fan and the fans and the general public and 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 people about rodeo. There's a lot of misconceptions out there, and and even even today, uh, some of it's gotten better because it's easier to get information out. But with that, some of it's gotten worse because somebody that wants to attack rodeo or or take a negative stance toward it they can get false information out quicker as well. You know, mm-hmm. the, the flank strap has been a big mm-hmm. topic of, of conversation over the years. And, and so uh, everything from people telling people that it's hurting the horses to uh, their genitals are involved mm-hmm. in the, in the flank strap things, which, which is a hundred percent false. Mm-hmm. And, and we can prove that with, with, you know, 
whether it's photos or videos and show where the flank strap is and it's and it's and it's nothing to do with that but uh, it, it's it, you know it was also to created to combat some of that as well as sometimes we we uh, come under attack by uh, you know politically with with uh, laws or ordinances trying to be passed and things and so that that position is also to to look for things like that because we went we went through well right now there's some legislation going on in in certain parts of California LA is has had a uh, some some local uh, city government you know considering banning of rodeo and and equestrian sports in the city of Los Angeles and I just saw a deal last week where San Diego is maybe considering some of that same uh, legislation within the city and uh, so we, we well, we don't currently sanction a rodeo in the city of L.A. We try to give support to, uh, you know, uh, the, the the fight against that because, you know, the reality is even if we don't have a rodeo, the PBR, I think, is the only organization that currently has an event in the city limits of, of, uh, of L.A. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it won't stop there. The fear is that 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 gives them a little traction and then you know they they get some confidence and they get more people to donate to their cause and then they they expand from there and pretty soon they're you know New York has had legislation uh proposed uh pre-covid there was a bill getting some traction and we thought maybe was going to going to uh be heard on the floor in New York to uh uh, ban certain disciplines, events of rodeo. Well, then here came COVID and everybody's attention, you know, mm-hmm. politically was on mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of died down. Uh, I'm on a, a list where I get an email every time something comes up about that. Oh. Uh, you know, we try to keep an eye on on that. And and then, uh, you know, rally support from, from our people mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to dispel those rumors because and and that than that misinformation because you know it's uh what is it the 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 wheel that squeaks the loudest mm-hmm. gets the grease and mm-hmm. sometimes that's the case where somebody completely misinformed and I and I hate to be so blunt but out of pure ignorance some of the things that they believe about rodeo or that they say about rodeo or or other you know equine events and stuff they will they will you know spread that information and and if you, sometimes if you say it loud enough and confidently enough, people mm-hmm. believe it to be true. And, and mm-hmm. so, uh, we, you know, we try to keep an eye on all those things and not pick a fight, but defend ourselves when, when it's appropriate. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, and, and also, uh, in 1966 and this, this, some of these dates really were pretty astounding to me in 1966, you began providing insurance for the, for the cowboys and for the cowgirls, for the members that had to be ahead of its time, Dale. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, strangely enough, even now, 2023, Mm -hmm. you fast forward all this time, uh, there, there may be some exceptions, but primarily the only ones that, that still do that today is the IPRA, the PRCA does, Mm -hmm. and, uh, high school and intercollegiate do okay. and the PBR does, but, okay. but most other, you know, I'm, I may be missing somebody. So I apologize if I am, but most of the rodeo associations still don't do that. So, 
I, I have always been of a mindset that, that it is important to provide that. Now, if some catastrophic injury happens to somebody, you can't have enough insurance for, for those kinds of things. But, but our, our insurance covers that member traveling to or from or competing at or working at an IPRA sanctioned rodeo. So if you're a member and you have a truck wreck on the way to the rodeo, it will cover it. And Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're hurt in competition, it will cover it and, and so on. And then we also have a, uh, you know, an accidental death policy on all of our members that, uh, that, and it covers them anytime. I mean, if, if they were to get run over by a tractor at their house, it would, the, the oh, accidental wow. death benefit would pay. And we put that in place uh, more recently. Mm-hmm. It was an option through the insurance company that we use and the agency that we use. And uh, we could, we could afford to do it. And, and, you know, that's one of those, you never want to collect on it, but, right, uh, right. but, you know, tragedies do happen, unfortunately. And, and, uh, and, and if they have other insurance, uh, either on their own or through their job or through their spouse or family, uh, then our insurance will kick in as a secondary. You know, if they have a primary, ours will kick in as a secondary and pay their copay and deductible and and ambulance ride and whatever their insurance, you know, primary doesn't cover. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't have any other than ours, then it becomes the primary okay. and, and, you know, covers the, the, the majority of it. And, and so... Uh, try to and you know it's one of those things people say well gosh if you didn't have the insurance you could sell memberships cheaper you'd probably sell more memberships but i think it's a a good investment and we provide that on on all of our members and permit holders and and uh and and, and no you know most of the competitors are younger people that's mm-hmm. just the nature of the mm-hmm. the game and we all think we're right. you know bulletproof and i'm not going to get hurt and yeah. you know i'm tough and all that but then when something happens, yep. it's a it's a, a big blessing and help to them to have some have some financial help. Absolutely. No, I've heard stories. We heard one this summer. Uh, bull rider was riding up in Pennsylvania and didn't have his own health insurance and wasn't riding uh, for an association that had health insurance offered, you know, that was part of it. And uh, very, yep. very, very expensive, very expensive. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that, and I, I a great investment, as you said. Um, and then let's shift just for a moment to the regional system. You were the you were the first. The IPRA was the first to develop that regional system. You talked about that a little bit in Canada, the Canadian Cup. Can I stay local? Do I don't want to travel every you know I don't want to travel all week. I just want to stay close. And having that regional system like the Northeast, like the Canadian Cup, et cetera. Um, and then you you have the individual regional uh, finals, and then they all come together for the national all-regional finals, Dale? Yeah, and so we've got North America divided up into five regions. And so, like you said, depending on where you live, if you want to stay closer to home and just compete regionally, the, you know, we, we try to have region finals at the end of the season in each, in each region, uh, and, you know, for them to qualify and go, go to now that doesn't, that's not, it doesn't mean you can't go to the IFR and the region finals in the same year. We have many people that, that mm-hmm. do, uh, the Southern region finals, which is Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Kansas. 
the the region finals is actually next weekend in in uh, in Shawnee, Oklahoma. Uh, then there'll be many contestants there that are that are also going to qualify or trying to qualify for for the IFR. But it does give them a chance to stay closer to home and and compete and qualify for finals. And the national all region finals, uh, generally it can it can you know, there's a little bit of leeway on the format depending on how many contestants they want in their event, but it's it's usually traditionally been the top two in each region then go to the okay. national all-region finals. So okay. so uh, now we we had a plan uh, fall through this year. We're not actually having a national all-region finals in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a, a place that was very interested in and we actually had it listed and some things came to pass that they weren't able to host it this year. And so, so we had to cancel it, unfortunately, but I already have uh, a very good lead uh, on somebody next year that that's, uh, that's very interested in, in hosting it. So that's one of the goals for next year is to get that back in place. And, and it's another, another incentive, you know, and, and, and benefit for our members to, to have that opportunity and qualify for it. And, and, uh, and it, you know, lets them still, you know, have a finals to go to and compete at a high level against mm-hmm. people from all over without having to, you know, travel all over the country to, to, to get there. Now, do those regional finals, do those points count towards the IFR, towards the year-end standings? Well, <laughs> I'm laughing because that's been a fairly recent development. And when I say recent, probably last 10 years or so, okay. maybe 15, I, I lose track of time. Uh, they, they didn't used to. They only mm-hmm. counted in that region standings and then toward qualifying for the national all-region finals. Well, along the way, uh, contestants, you know, I guess wanted more incentive to go to them and stuff. So what okay. we did was we created, we still have a, a region standings that we track for just the people in that region, but we, it's just a, a, a little bit of a twist on that. We have a region tour standings, which means the, the, the definition of it is though it's those same region rodeos in the Southern region, Southeast, Northeast, whatever region you're talking about. But, uh, the, the tour, any that that tracks the points of anybody that competes in that region so even if you're from new york and you come and go to some rodeos in oklahoma and win points in the in the southern region they still track those points and so by doing that then then those region finals or region tour finales as we call them now if they have that format then they do count in the world standings and so Again, it was another incentive for the contestants to, uh, you know, reward the ones that support the rodeos in that region, mm-hmm. but also another incentive for them to go and compete at their region tour finale and, and gain more points toward the IFR. So it can be a kind of a two-way street. If you still want to just rodeo regionally and stay close and not, not try to qualify for the IFR, you can go to your region tour finale that way. Uh, or if, if, uh, you know, you want to, uh, and, and it's uh, like the Northeast and Central region mm-hmm. border each other. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania, New York, and those states are in the, and Ohio are in the Northeast region, but then Indiana, Illinois, uh, you know, uh, those states are in the Central region. And so if you, if you live in that, you know, kind of Ohio area, you know, you might go to both rodeos in both regions and, 
and they're handy for you and still stay somewhat close to home, you might qualify for, for both those those uh, region finales and, and wow. be able to go to both of them. Okay. Okay. I like that. Okay. And then talking about the um, International Finals Rodeo, reading that the first, the first IFR was held in February 1971, had a total payoff of $47,000 as the finals for the 1970 season. And that was held in Tulsa. And then it looked like uh-huh. it moved to Albuquerque for a bit, for a couple of years maybe. Um, Just one year. I one think year. IFR3, I think, oh, was the only one in, in, in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. Then it came back to Tulsa. Mm-hmm. And then then it came to Oklahoma City, and it, it was in the Myriad Convention Center. And then it moved to the State Fair Arena in Oklahoma City. And then ultimately, mm-hmm. it looks like in 2003, it moved to the Ford Center in downtown Oklahoma. So in present day, we know that it's going to be held this January at the Lazy E Arena in Guthrie, Oklahoma. We'll get into that just a little bit. So here's the question that I have as I listen to the national um, regional finals as I listen to the IFR and all of this, the IFYR, let's throw that in. Do you guys, does your home office, your crew, do they organize the IFR? Yeah, so the IFR is the only rodeo that, that we, the IPRA, actually puts on ourselves. Okay. And so we're the we're the committee and, and everything. So, so the, the, the board is involved both, you know, in, in serving some positions there, as well as we have a stock selection committee that selects the, the horses and bulls that will, you know, perform there and, and, and all of those things. And, but yeah, we're, we're on the hook for that one. We put it all on ourselves. And, and so, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a big undertaking. Uh, you know, we have a, we have a fairly small full-time staff. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's currently, uh, three, three ladies in the office and, and I'm in and out of there. I, I have an office and a desk there and I'm there part of the time and I work from home some and I travel some and, and, uh, and then we have a, a project manager, which is like mostly like a field rep, uh, Ronnie Williams, he lives in Texas and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, we're, we're adding, we're in the process of adding to our staff. Uh, we have, uh, uh, a gentleman named Jared Higby, who at one time was the uh, marketing director for National High School. He kind of got away from rodeo a little bit as far as that and was uh, teaching in college and started a family. And now he's gotten back involved. And so he he just recently came on board and to work on uh, uh, sponsorships and business development and expansion and some things. So so he's still kind of getting his feet wet a little bit, but he's he's on board. And we're in the process of hiring a uh, new communications director, which will be, you know, everything from social media and website and all those things. So all, all of that, you know, you got to stay up with the times and, and we need more more help on those fronts. And so we'll be we, we'll be adding some pieces, but, you know, fairly small staff that puts on a large event. And so it takes everybody, uh, you know, kind of pulling in the same direction to, to, to make it happen. Yeah. And I'm looking at this. Um... 
you know, all the contract personnel you're talking about, judges, secretary, announces, timers, pickup men, barrel men, all of that. But also during the the um, the rodeo, that four days in the Lazy Arena in Guthrie, you've got a Western trade show that goes on. There's an annual bucking stock sale that, that happens. There's also a contract act uh, showcase that that is held. Then you've got your senior pro judge, uh, pro rodeo judges clinics. And then finally, and I'm probably missing some stuff here, Dale, Miss Rodeo <laughs> USA contestants are there for a full schedule during the IFR. I'm looking at this thinking four people, five people. This is a crazy amount of stuff to get organized. It seems like it'd take a couple people just to do something like organize the Western Trade Show. Well, and so and so that's where we bring other people and pieces in. So <laughs> okay. a lady named a lady named Tammy Hyatt, who who isn't a, a full time staff member, but a longtime member of the IPRA and and former board member. She served as the barrel racing director, uh, uh, you know, years ago and stuff, and and been around rodeo for for a long time. And so she has managed the trade show for us. Uh, gosh, I forget how many years now. Uh, well, we were still in Oklahoma City, and since we've made the move to Guthrie to the Lazy E, and and so uh, I'm very fortunate to have people like her. So so she's the point of contact for that, and organizes that, and okay. and, uh, and and manages that for us as a as as a private contractor. And then uh, the Contract Act Showcase, uh, our our Contract Acts Director, Contract Personnel Director. Uh, they're, they're in charge of that. Now they get other people to help them. But, uh, so, so that is about what it sounds like. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, announcers and specialty acts and comedy acts and, and things like that can enter the showcase. And so there on Saturday at the lazy, E, we'll have a, it's almost like a performance just for those contract personnel. So it's a draw, uh, an announcer will draw a comedy act or a dress act, and then they'll get together just like, just like they would if, uh, if they showed up at a rodeo and they're working with a new announcer and they would get together and go over their script and, and music and one thing and another, and then they'll perform. And so it's open to the public, but it's primarily for, uh, rodeo producers and committees to come and watch and see what's out there for new talent or somebody that they may not be aware of. They're looking for some new entertainment at their rodeo and, and it's a great place and, and anybody can come. I mean, yeah. we have seasoned veterans come, yeah. but it's really a good place for some of the new up and comers to get their name out there and, and be seen and, and uh, uh, you know, show what they can do and, and uh, you know, uh, book some, book some work. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so that's because uh, most committees, not all of them, but the majority of them, it's a civic group or organization putting it on for a fundraiser. You know, it's a Lions Club, a Kiwanis Club, or a, a, a church or school group or something putting a rodeo on for a fundraiser. And so they're, they're not rodeo people. And, and, you know, they put on one rodeo a year and they rely heavily on their stock contractor to provide the pieces they need, right? The livestock and maybe a portable arena if, if it's needed or, you know, the different pieces. And then we advertise it to our members to get the contestants to enter and come and have the competition. But, but they're, they don't, they don't interact with a lot of rodeo people or see other 
acts or announcers and, and things, and they may not know what, what else is out there. So it gives them an opportunity to, to see, a, you know, what else is out there other than what they've had at their rodeo or, or the neighboring rodeo that they may have went to. And, and so it's a, it's a good mix there for, uh, for them to see everybody. And then the, the judges clinic and all of that is part of our, cause we have our IPRA annual convention going on the same week as the IFR. It, I mean, one, it's a good time to have it cause get everybody to come and then they can attend the IFR while they're there. But we have a committee seminar, judges clinic, as you mentioned, uh, there's meetings with the contestants, a general membership meeting, lots of information to give out. And while we don't have everybody there, it's a pretty good cross section of, of people from all over the country and all over the North America that come. And, and so even if somebody wasn't there, those people go back home and, and in their circle kind of share what they heard and learned there. And, and so, uh, it's, it's a good, good place to, uh, uh, educate people as well as get feedback from them on what they like and don't like, and would like to see change. So. You bet. Perfect. And what a good full four days you guys have put together. So for our listeners, if you are interested, Guthrie, Oklahoma, January 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, four days, go down and see some great rodeo. I, I The Contract Act Showcase, if you have an opportunity, go see it. I believe it's free to get into. Go see it. And just it, it's pretty it's pretty cool to see all the various different acts that are out there uh, that are going up and down the road right now. So if you have that opportunity. Um, let's talk about a great big topic, Dale. Rodeo Logistics purchases the IPRA in January of 2023. Talk a little bit about this. I know Rodeo Logistics, they are, um, uh, they've got all kinds of commuter software, open stalls, rodeo entry tools. They're, they're involved uh, with the IFYR. Um, talk a little bit about this. This was a big thing. Yeah, so uh, when it, it really started a few years ago, uh, it, it, you know, time sometimes seems like it goes so fast and then sometimes so slow. But even when we when we were considering moving to Guthrie to the Lazy E, uh, uh, I had met with the staff and management there at the Lazy E and and they kind of made their pitch to, to for us to move up there and 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 it was and it was very interesting and there's some good possibilities there uh you know uh, it's a private owned facility so uh there there's advantages to that you're dealing with you know a private entity that that can make decisions and and uh and and you know work with you and one thing and another and and so uh and and as we were moving along in that discussion I came to meet uh, Gary McKinney, who owns the Lazy E, and so and he owns other other things. Uh, very successful in the oil and gas business, and and then uh, uh, is a he team ropes himself. Uh, never did get an opportunity to to rodeo much because of he was so busy uh, business wise. But but uh, he's a cowboy. He's a rancher, and and. Uh, and he, and he, and he loves rodeo and the, the, the Western way of life. And so, uh, the horse racing, they're very involved with horse racing with Reliance ranches and lazy ranches, uh, have a, a, a massive horse racing business as well. And, and so anyway, as, as I was talking with, uh, with Mr. McKinney and, uh, and we were, we were talking about the IFR and, and moving it up there, 
uh, we were talking about creating more of a partnership than just a, a, a tenant uh, a mm-hmm. facility relationship where we're just renting the, the, the facility. And so that sort of moved along to discussions about the history of the IPRA and the structure of it and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, Mr. McKinney is, is very interested in adding benefits to to rodeo contestants primarily. Now with that goes benefits for contractors and committees and, and other things as well. But he has a he has a soft place in his heart, I guess you'd say, for these rodeo contestants that dedicate a, a big portion of their life to, to rodeo and and may not have a lot to show for it when they're done. You know, it it it's certainly different than most other major sports. You know, uh, football, baseball, basketball, and all those things where people are are under contract and getting guaranteed paychecks, they still have to perform to maintain their contracts and and you know and and renew and and get more money. But but it's a it's a different animal completely than than rodeo. You know, golf would probably be the closest comparison just because it's an individual sport and and they and they compete for what they win. Now, golf has gotten so big, most of them have major sponsors and they're you know, they may be making more in sponsor dollars and appearances than what they are uh, you know, pro ams and things and what they're actually winning on the on on the golf course, but uh, rodeo has has fallen behind on that, and so one of his goals is to try to make it better for those contestants, where they have more opportunities to win more money without more expense and a, and a lot more travel and stuff, because travel is a is a is a huge part of rodeo, and to try to get to 100 rodeos or whatever the the case might be, uh, that that takes a lot of time away from home and expense and away from family and you know all those things. So. So uh, he also has the the the, the WCRA, mm-hmm. which is the World Champions Rodeo Alliance, uh, is another entity that that he has. And so Rodeo Logistics, as you said, is a software technology company. And so he one of the other things that he saw that was lacking in in rodeo and Western sports was technology, because uh, the you know the the Apples and IBMs and and those people weren't focused on on rodeo and Western sports the same as they were other businesses. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he brought together uh, he built a company that has programmers and and tech people that that work on stuff that's that's geared for that sort of thing. So you you I think you mentioned uh, open stalls. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, uh, a little bit like hotels.com for horses, right? right. You can get on there and you, if you're traveling somewhere, uh, you can, you can find somewhere to book a stall to stop and let your horse rest for the night. Or, okay. or if you're and and some events, they have the, the, uh, uh, stall management. So, uh, at the IFYR, for instance, uh, we use it there. So those contestants that are coming, that are bringing a horse, they reserve their stall and their and their campsite through open stalls, and then we have the, all that data and listed, and they can pay prepay and all of that, and then we can manage the stalls that uh, you know uh, uh, Doug is in stall 759, and you know assign the stalls and and all that. So it's quite a quite a system, and 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 it's, so he was developing those things. So to kind of get back to the IPRA part of it. Uh, he was interested in working with the IPRA or potentially acquiring the IPRA to 
implement some of that software and ultimately make it better, more user-friendly and more benefits for IPRA members to, to, to use. And so that's how we got started down that discussion and, and it went on for, for quite some time. And then uh, again, here came COVID and, mm-hmm. and that didn't change either one of our focus or goal to try to figure out how to make this work. But it did just slow things down on sheer numbers. You know, there was not very many rodeos going on and and it affected memberships as well. And so uh, then as we got past that and and move forward and and, you know, it always takes a, a lot of legalese to, to, to get in there and 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 uh, make sure it can be done and what you want to be done and, and so on and so forth. So so, yeah, we we rolled out actually at the IFR last January uh, and then uh, acquired the necessary membership vote to approve the, the acquisition and all of those things and, and uh, move forward with that. And so, uh, the, and, and again, it's mainly to add innovation to rodeo and streamline some processes. Uh, we, we've kind of just, started the tip of the iceberg so far and and we never want to make it too complicated where it's where it's hard for people to rodeo or make it more difficult for them but you know the the way we move information from rodeos to our office is is badly outdated so the secretary works the rodeo on a on a on on paper uh some some will use a laptop to do some of their stuff but but you know we're we're doing that, and we have all these forms, and you know the the posted sheets and the draw and the you know the results and all those things, and then the secretary, uh, mostly handwritten, uh, it, you know, then she either has to mail all that information to the IPRA office, or scan it and email it or fax it. Yep. Uh, you know, yep. and so it's very outdated on the way information can move these days. Now, some of the challenges are we have rodeos and locations that don't have good internet. Right. And so right. so you have to have the best of both worlds. You have to have it where they can work the rodeo offline, mm-hmm. but then when they get internet, they can upload the information and get it to our office and stuff. So so we're just we're just getting into that part of it, uh, even though it's been, you know, uh, most of the year that we've been been working together and on it. So there'll continue to be improvements on that that can do a lot of things, get the the information there faster and easier, get the standings updated faster and easier and more accurately. Uh, you know, we want to get where we're moving money to the contestants mm-hmm. more efficiently, mm-hmm. because if you go compete at a rodeo on the first night and it's a three day rodeo and you leave there, then you find out a few days later you won something, they sent the money to your house or you you know, hopefully you had somebody pick it up and, you know, there's all those things. And, 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 and there's just, uh, again, you know, in 2023 and soon to be 2024, there's much more efficient ways to make all that happen. And rodeo has been behind. And so we want to, we want to streamline that and make it more, 
more, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> user friendly for yeah. contestants and, and yeah. our members to, 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 to live in this world and, 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 you know, and navigate it. Uh, you know, it, it's great. In 1997, you, you created the central entry system, which was still phoning in. You talk about getting on a bank of pay phones at a truck stop to try to get your truck entered. And if I'm reading this right, this rodeo entry tool, it's got a dashboard and it's got event listings. And if I'm not mistaken, um, I can enter multiple I'm reading this. I have the option to enter multiple disciplines multiple times in one single transaction. So I'm not I'm not even picking up a phone to call. I'm doing it on my mobile device. And then it looks like I've got the and I've created my own my own profile, which has got my personal information, where where you can send the money to, social media associations that I'm I'm attached to, uh, career earnings, and all that sort of thing. So I'm. It's about time. An excellent, good job. Well, and and so since that press release <laughs> and information came out earlier this year, then. Uh, along the way, Rodeo Logistics also acquired a majority interest in in NextGen Rodeo, which is an app-based system to enter rodeos. And so in April of 2023, we switched to uh, – so NextGen, which is part of Rodeo Logistics, is taking, taking our entries. And so a lot of those same things that you just named are mm-hmm. in place, but mm-hmm. so now it's just an app on your phone – now, there's a number that you can call if somebody either sure. doesn't have the, the capability of downloading an app or, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have a smartphone or, or whatever the case might be. They can still call and enter. But the overwhelming majority of people, again, because it rodeo primarily on the competition side is a young person's sport, just the nature of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, I, I jokingly say anybody – under 30 and it may be 40 now they don't really want to talk to anybody anyway they right. just want to get on an app and and punch it in and and so 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 now you just download that app and set up your profile in there and you can enter any and all ipra rodeos right through that app and 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 the entries are open for five days they open on wednesday morning and they close sunday at five o'clock and so you have five days to enter so you don't have the uh, trying to eliminate again. It doesn't matter what day in the past. What you, the, the the entries were usually open for one day, with a few exceptions, and then it would never fail. The next morning, people are calling the stock contractor or our office or the entry system that we were yeah. using and saying, "I missed the books." Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so, right. so now that not that that doesn't ever happen now, but they're open for five days, and if Saturday night you're at a rodeo and and you're a little short on funds. I don't know if I'm going to enter next week and I win something or I'm talking to my buddies there at the rodeo and go, hey, let's go to Attica, New York next week. You want to go? Sure. They can get on their phone at midnight and open up that app and, and enter enter the rodeo and they're you know good to go. And, and so, again, trying to make it more convenient and more accessible and and, uh, you know, user-friendly to, to get entered at IPRA rodeos. Yeah. And just to be clear, um, you can enter multiple people. So imagine back in the days of running your truck. I got six deer wrestlers going down the road. I want to enter all six of them. Can I do that on my mobile app? 
Yeah, and so there are restrictions on how many you okay. can enter in a buddy okay. group. Okay. Uh, so it so it's 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 four per discipline per okay. per event. So so the and the reason that's in place is if uh, uh, so that sort of one buddy group doesn't fill a whole performance mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know we you know kind of monopolized it a little bit. Like if I could enter if I could enter ten steer wrestlers in one group one buddy group and keep them together. We would we would fill Saturday night at that rodeo, and then nobody else got an opportunity to to, to go then. So so there's you know there's a limit on how many uh, you can you can enter per per event okay. on on one you know one buddy group. But uh, but yeah, they, you can. And so there's no more stopping at the truck stop and getting <laughs> on the payphone if they even have a payphone in the right. truck stop anymore. Right. And and you know we're all driving down the road and we can do it on our smartphone and uh, and. And it's a draw, so there's not that mad rush to at 9 a.m. when the book's open. Yeah. I got to get through by 9:05, or I'm not going to get up when I want. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. can just any time in that five-day period, you can give your preferences, and then it's going to draw. If you enter more IPRA rodeos, mm-hmm. uh, the advantage there is it's going to try to get you up at I the see. maximum amount of rodeos. So. Okay. Uh, it, it, it tries its very best not to to foul you and put you up at two rodeos at the same time and uh-huh. and some things like that again to make it more user friendly and get more people to to more rodeos. Yeah, love it, absolutely love it. I you know listen to your stories and 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 how what what kind of an act it was to try to get the truck entered. Um, I can't imagine driving down the road now with you being able to run your smartphone. And you got to put out a PSA there. You don't work to enter your rodeo while you're driving, right? That's right. You have your buddy that's that's riding in the pasture sheet. You got your co-pilot over there yeah, entering yeah. the rodeos while yeah. you're driving, or or you let him drive while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. that's the official stance of the IPRA, right? Well, uh... absolutely. <laughs> um, and then technology and rodeo. Uh, we talked a bit about this last time <clears throat> in the uh, upcoming uh, IFR this this coming January. For the first time ever, you're going to have the instant replay review challenge. Um, yeah. And I, very cool. We've seen it in the PBR. We've seen the effects of it in the PBR. I, and, and I just got to come at it from this angle. Um, I got to ask in the old days, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, ba- uh, video cameras were actually banned. Right. So what has changed? I mean, now you got cell phone recording, you got social media, uh, media. Um, how, how is this possible? Well, so, yeah. And I, I think, you know, we touched on the, the, the animal issues part of rodeo and some of the, the, the enemies that try to use thing against us and stuff. And so I think that's where a lot of the, the, the combination of that people not wanting people to video at rodeos that, that are going to try to twist things around and use it against us. But also, uh, people were concerned about, you know, uh, uh, media rights and things, you know, when Mm. you used to, I don't even know if they do it anymore. It used to be when you watched a football game, it would say, this is the express or the, you know, this is the exclusive property of the national football league. Any, you know, unauthorized use, but you know, they would threaten you that the, the FBI was going to show up at your house and, 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 and the rest of you, if you, uh, if you recorded the football game or something, you know, now we live in a DVR world and, and streaming and all these things that you can, 
get things all the time, anytime. And, and, and so some of that old logic and way of thinking went by the way. And, 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 and it used to be people. The other thing was the convenience for the, for the people that bought a ticket to watch Mm -hmm. because cameras used to be bigger and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Oh, the guy, the big guy standing sitting in front of you pulls his video camera up and puts it on his shoulder. And, and now he's blocking people's view and, and, and those things, you know, now we all have a camera in our pocket and it's very small and compact. And so, you know, people are videoing with their cell phone and some of these cell phones have cameras on them that are high resolution and, and pretty awesome videos. (laughs) And, and so it just, it just became, you know, where it's, it, there's no fight to fight there anymore. Right. You can't keep people from, you know, you can, now somebody goes to broadcasting something and, you know, streaming a whole rodeo and stuff, then you can Mm. still, you know, you know, enter, you know, shut that down or, or keep from doing that. But, but so, so all of that's changed, but the replay part of it now, you mentioned the PBR was kind of at the forefront of, of replay within, mm-hmm. within rodeo or Western sports. And so the WCRA that we talked a little mm-hmm. about, uh, it does some stuff with the PBR. Uh, PBR helps them with their media rights and some other things. And there's a collaboration there. And so when the WCRA start having these, these big money events that they produce, uh, they implemented instant replay or challenge okay. uh, replay that's that's uh using the pbr system mm-hmm. uh where and now because the pbr is strictly bull riding they had to do you know modify some things with more cameras and more camera angles and stuff because you can also challenge certain things in the in the timed events and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you had to put more cameras in place to get all of that you know covered but <clears throat> then then there's a opportunity if a contestant uh feels like you know, the wrong call was made or, you know, they, they were whatever it might be. You, you can challenge whether the barrier worked correctly. If they, if they call a plus 10, uh, plus five in the WCRA is plus 10 in the IPRA for breaking the barrier. You know, you can challenge that. Uh, if you nodded and the gate didn't open properly, uh, there's a camera position to show when you nodded and when the gate actually opened mm-hmm. because it's supposed to open in a timely manner when you nod and call for the calfers to your and things like that fouls in the rough stock events, you know, whether the, the bull hipped himself or fouled your leg or, you know, all the different things that are, that are involved in rodeo. But in the past, you just had a judge or a couple of judges and, and they're not perfect and they might miss something. Mm-hmm. But if you feel strongly that, that, that the wrong call was made, you can't challenge a score. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. overturn the, the score that they give you, but certainly a disqualification or a penalty or a foul, uh, you can, you can challenge that. And so then we'll go to the, 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 the contestant initiates that there's a flag that they throw. There's one at the time to in and one at the rough stock end, and they throw that flag and then they challenge it. They tell the judge what their, what their, uh, uh, you know, challenge is, uh, you know, I was fouled or, mm-hmm. or, my steer fell down before he got to the score line. That's why it caused me to break the barrier. The steer fell before he got to the, you know, different, mm-hmm. there, there's a, there's specific things that you can challenge. And so then we, we have the technology where there's a monitor for the judge to look at. And, you know, we never want to drag rodeo out or, mm-hmm. you know, make it too long for the fans, but with the amount of money that's at stake and stuff and, and titles on the line, you want to, 
you know, this isn't a fit for every rodeo because you have to have the video and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, capability and technology to do it. But at the IFR, we can do it. And so, uh, uh, they'll have a monitor at, at each end. And so they'll, if they challenge oh, it, then okay. the judge can look at it right then and make that decision. It'll, you know, it usually takes a matter of seconds, uh, to, uh, to look at that. It's not going to hold up the rodeo for 30 minutes or mm -hmm. anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, and I hope, and what I've witnessed at some WCRA events, the, the announcers are explaining what's going on to the, to the in-house crowd or, or TV, if it's on TV. And, and I haven't, I haven't been anywhere where the crowd gets restless or okay. uh, loses interest. I think, I think they want the call to be right just as much as, you know, the contestant and the judges do. So mm -hmm. I think they understand and other sports have implemented it, right? I mean, they're used to watching an NFL game. And if there's a challenge, there's a, a bit of a break in the action. Well, they, well, they determine if the, the right call was made and, and, you know, that's the, that's the ultimate goal. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to implement it at the IFR this year and, uh, and, uh, and go from there, uh, where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. If more rodeos have the technology and the capability, I, I would love to see it expand, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to more rodeos right now. We're going to start with it at the IFR because we can we can control it and and have the and we have the capability to to do it correctly there. So will the fan be able to? Is there a large screen set up inside uh, Lazy E or screens that the fans will be able to see re or replays? I should say and see what the judge is looking at. Yes, and okay. so and so we we have a, a video replay screen there. So uh, in in. Early October, I went to uh, WCRA event in Tryon, North Carolina, and there was there was a couple challenges that that weekend while I was there, and and uh, uh, one of them was where a contestant uh, felt like it, in the tie down roping felt like the gate didn't open correctly when when he nodded. There was a big hesitation, you know, when he nodded till the gate opened, and uh, and so he challenged it, and. Uh, uh, he actually pulled up and didn't run the calf. You know, he, okay. he felt like there was such a hesitation. He declared himself and pulled up. But so, uh, the, the judge was unsure whether the gate opened correctly or not. Anyway, the contestant challenged it. They went to the replay. We could see it right there on the, on the board. They showed that camera angle where you, and, and you could, you saw him nod and there was a big hesitation and the gate opened. He started, out of the corner and then pulled up and said, Hey, you know, there was, I, I was fouled or it didn't work correctly. And, and so they could see it on the replay. Okay. And, and so he got a rerun and, and, and was given a, a, another calf to run that run the extra. And, and, uh, and I think in that case, he ended up uh, placing and moving on in the competition and, and uh, you know, the, the, you know, it was, it was done correctly. And, and, uh, and so anyway, that's, that's the kind of thing if we're trying to, you can't, you're still going to have a human element in mm -hmm. rodeo, certainly, mm -hmm. and you can't take that completely out. But uh, if we have the chance to get the call right, I, I think that should always, always be a goal. Absolutely. No, I'm very excited for this. It's going to be great to watch. And for our listeners, the uh, IFR 54 is January 2024. 
four days, January 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. It's at the Lazy E Arena in Guthrie, Oklahoma. I will put up links in the listener notes that uh, you can click on and go, go get your tickets. Go check this out. Now, the other thing before we move on past the IFR and rodeo logistics, more money in this year's IFR for both the, the stock contractors and for the rodeo contestants. You want to talk a little bit about that, Dale? Yeah, uh, another one of the conversations with, with Mr. McKinney when, when we talked about this was the need to for, for that growth and, and more, more money in our members' pockets. And so, uh, you know, obviously we're trying to sell more tickets and raise more sponsor dollars and all those things that you do to, to offset the cost of rodeo and, and increase the revenue side. But uh, so right from the beginning – uh, you know, made a commitment to raise the prize money to half a million dollars. And that's no contestant entry fees. The contestants at the IFR don't pay an entry fee. All that all that half million is put up by, by the IPRA uh, for them to win. And then we raise the stock lease for the for the bucking horses and bulls uh, significantly. So so there's going to be uh, about a quarter of a million dollars more this January that goes in our members' pockets, contestants and stock contractors, than what there was in January of 2023. So in one year, there's a, a quarter of a million increase between those two, two pieces. And there's also some increases for some of the personnel and stuff as well. So it'll, it'll exceed that. But right off the bat, there's, there's that much more. And, and, and again, that's, you know, that, that's, we're not going to rest on that or say we're good now. Uh, you know, we don't need to worry about that. The, the goal is to continue to, to grow and in, increase that and, and, and increase those benefits. Wow. There has been a lot going on, Dale. I can't imagine how busy you must have been this year. Yeah, traveling about, as you said, WCRA, going up to St. Tete, competing in a golf tournament that you had to win, for goodness sakes. <laughs> You've been busy. You've been all over. And this going on, it is exciting times for the IPRA. And thank you for your leadership. Well, thank you. It's uh, it it's been been interesting for sure. I I've, I've been involved for a long time on on different levels, whether it's a contestant or or you know on the management side and stuff. I I really feel like we have an opportunity now to to see some of the growth that myself and many others have have always wanted. Uh, you know, we have more resources available thanks to. Uh, uh, Mr. McKinney, Mr. McKinney and his and his companies that we can, uh, you know, it's just like the software side of it. You know, for me to could, could somebody else do this? Sure. You know, if if the IPRA had enough money, could we go hire some programmers to to try to you know write the software that Rodeo badly needs and stuff? Uh, absolutely. There's people out there that can do that. But it's very expensive and and it's a huge initial investment. And so to have the resources that we have you know, with, with him and, you know, sort of the sister companies that we have, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity and, and I'm, I'm really excited about the, uh, about the future. You bet. You bet. Lots to be excited about more money, more technology, more innovation. Absolutely. And is there anything, Dale, we haven't talked about that you'd like to, to, to raise for our listeners or inform our listeners of? 
the, the I guess one thing is just a little explanation on the WCRA because some people will will have seen that and and some will be unfamiliar with it. But it's World Champions Rodeo Alliance, and and as I've said, it's it's a sister company, if you will, to the to the IPRA, but managed completely different. The, there were some rumors the WCRA bought the IPRA and it took over the IPRA and stuff. That's that's not at all what happened now. It, you know, we, we've had an alliance with them since it started. They, they are not a membership organization or a sanctioning body. They put on, you know, this year three, uh, their, their, their model is three or four large pain events a year. And uh, so this year they had uh, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas in the spring, and they had Tryon, North Carolina, you know, the first part of October, and they're actually going to have a WCRA event the week before the IFR at the Lazy E. And so, you, you, you that that platform is is it, they have an app and stuff, uh, World Champions Rodeo Alliance WCRA, and you download that app and set up a profile, and you can nominate the rodeos or the jackpots or the competitions that you're already going to. You don't have to enter more rodeos or anything like that. So you can take the IPRA rodeos that you're going to, and you pay a, a small nomination fee if you want to count that rodeo, and then you can qualify. So they're going to pay out uh, uh, a little over 400000 the week before the IFR. We're, between the two weekends, you know, we're going to pay out about a million dollars to athletes in, in 10 days there at the Lazy E. And so... Uh, and you can compete in both, you know, or, or one or the other. You don't have to do both, but it's an opportunity. And, and I think there's some real future there as well. Because, again, you don't have to go to more rodeos or more jackpots. If you have a local team roping jackpot or barrel racing that you're going to, but you want to nominate that, if it's not on their schedule, you can get it added to their schedule and nominate that event and and then qualify for you know, a, a $400,000 plus rodeo. Uh, and then one of the other exciting things that they do is they have the triple crown of rodeo. If you win three of those major events in a row in any discipline, it could be in the bareback riding, the steer wrestling, whatever. If you win three of them in a row, which isn't an easy feat, but it can and has been done, you get a million dollar bonus. And so, you know, that's, Last last December in Fort Worth, yep. they had uh, the Cowtown Christmas uh, event there between you know shortly before Christmas and RC Landingham, a bareback rider from California, that was his third win in a row, and they handed him a check for a million dollars besides what he won at the rodeo, and and uh, you know really life changing money, and so the, the the opportunities are there again not not to go to more rodeos and spend more time traveling, but, but use what you're already doing to have an opportunity to, to, to really, really run it some, some big money. And you can count up to $10,000 in points that you win at WCRA rodeos toward, toward the IFR and, oh, wow. and in our world standing. So, oh, wow. so it's a two way street. There's advantages both ways. And we had contestants in Tryon uh, last month that, that did well and, and, uh, you know, won considerable amount of money and, and helped improve their position toward the IFR and toward IPRA world championships. And, uh, so anyway, more, more things coming and, and, and more opportunities. Perfect. And, and have you sat down and said only if, if this were, these opportunities would only been available when you were rodeoing hard. 
Well, yeah, it, you know, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's hard, it's hard not to, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, uh, uh, the, the technology part of it, you know, certainly, you know, that wouldn't have, I mean, it wasn't available when, when I started and, and now it is. So we need to capitalize on that. And, the, and, and, the, and the money, uh, you know, everything's more expensive now too. The, the, the revenue side of it needs to greatly increase because, you know, I hate to I hate to talk about the good old days, but when I moved to Oklahoma, <laughs> you know, fuel was still less than a dollar a gallon, and you could buy a new pickup for ten grand. And you know, it's just a, a a completely different world. And and now, you know, a new pickup, new crew cab pickups, closer to a hundred thousand dollars. And you know, diesel fuels, depending on where you live, three to five dollars a gallon. And you know, yeah. it's oh, it's yeah. just the uh, you know, and the trailers are you know, everything's more expensive, and so. Uh, uh, while we didn't have the opportunities to win as much money back then as what we do now, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I hate to say I would, would trade the experience <laughs> I had and the times that, that, yeah. that, that I lived in and competed in, you know, for anything I, you know, it's, uh, it, it had its own, its own, uh, you know, advantages as well. And, and so, um, I'm, I'm thankful for all of it. Yeah. And, and you talk about the money and it, there's a saying money makes the world go round and round. You've got great major sponsors, OG&E, Ram, Wrangler, Montana Silversmiths, Loves, just great sponsors. So I, I just got to say you wear so many darn hats. You got to keep so many people happy and there's so many things you got to be involved with. So well done. Well, when I when I was first elected as president, I remember the I, I went to uh, they made the announcement, and then that Sunday morning during the IFR, I went to to church service, and they they there at the IFR, and they introduced me as the new president, one thing or another, and and uh, I, I I I assured them of a couple of things that one really just one thing, as long as uh, uh, I was in charge, we'd still say the prayer at the beginning of the, of the performance at yeah. the IFR. Yeah. And, uh, and if they just at that time, cause it was an elected position, if they, if they didn't like the job I was doing, they had two options and it was either, uh, uh, vote me out, uh, <laughs> or, or, or impeach me, or I guess assassinate me, but I would prefer you don't choose that option. <laughs> no, so no. so I'm, I'm still here. Nobody's taken yes. that option. Although some may want to wring my neck sometimes, but, but it, it, whatever mistakes I've made, it, it's been because I thought it was best for, for the organization. And, and, uh, I've always tried to try to lead that way and not hold anybody else to any higher standard than I would, would hold myself to. You bet. Well, the proof's in the pudding and we look at, we look at where the IPRA is today and it's, it's future looks very, very bright from where we're sitting. So thank you for a great conversation today. I know we, we covered a lot of territory and you know what? There's a whole bunch more territory to cover too. I know there just is, uh, but thank you for, for everything today, Dale. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it. And I, uh, I'm glad you're uh, able to, to uh, with this platform, get some information out there and, and uh, tell people a little about the, the, the inside rodeo stuff. Inside rodeo stuff. Absolutely. All right. 
We hope that you enjoy our podcast as much as we enjoy doing it. We hope that you found this information in this episode useful and helpful. If you do, please share it with your friends. Help us spread the word. Share it on Facebook. Look for Beyond the Shoots on any of the major streaming platforms. Search for Beyond the Shoots and follow us. And if you would, rate and review us. Leave us some comments. It all helps us build our product. Remember, check out the New York State Rodeo Museum Facebook group page and become a member. And we'd like to say thank you to Parasite Systems for their support with our podcast. Parasite System is a push-button parasitic diagnostic system for pasture animals, horses, cattle, goats, sheep, and chickens, and for your companion animals, your dogs, and your cats. You can find them at ParasiteSystems.com. And we have a coupon, BTC023. That's BTC023 to get 50% off your specimen kits and testing. This is Beyond the Shoots with Dale Yerrigan. Until next time, this is Doug Simcox. Thank you for listening.